time being 7 o'clock, I call to order the October 25th Franklin School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. At the conclusion of our meeting, we will be adjourning to executive session and will not be returning to open meeting. All right, first on the agenda are our pledge students. If I could have them come up to the microphone. Just have a little bit to say about each. So this evening we have Christian Matthew and Mia Sartini. They are both eighth grade students at Horace Mann Middle School. They have worked hard in their three years of middle school and we are pleased to have them represent our school tonight. Chris has a passion for science and has received Horace Mann's end of year science award from his teachers in both sixth and seventh grade. Chris was an athlete in our inaugural season of unified basketball at the Franklin Middle Schools and represented Horace Mann very well as a player on the blue team. Outside of school, Chris likes to do computer programming, spend time with his family, take fencing lessons, and he cares for his turtle pancake. <laughs> a goal for Chris in high school next year is to take classes that challenge his academic gifts in the areas of math and science. Mia has a passion for art and has been a member of Horace Mann's Art Club this year. Mia persevered through remote learning during her entire sixth grade year and has worked hard the last two years to transition back into the full middle school rigor and routine. Outside of school, Mia likes to make art, play the ukulele, ride her bike, visit the library, be a mother's helper, and spend time with family. A goal for Mia in high school is to explore academics and trades that support her passion for art and writing. It is with great pleasure that Mr. Healy and Miss Mott recognize Chris and Mia tonight. Along with their teachers, we thank them for all the ways they have had a positive impact on the Horace Mann Middle School community. If you two wouldn't mind leaving us in your pledge, everyone stand. I am the class president at Franklin High School for the junior class. Uh, to give some updates on what's going on with the juniors, we currently have our prom committee formed and we are meeting every other week. So we do have a meeting this Friday on the 28th. Uh, our prom is currently set for May 5th, 2023 at the Lombardo's Hall in Randolph. And we're currently still working on finalizing our first fundraiser of the year, which will be used to um, fundraise for prom. Uh, for sports at Franklin High, uh, this is currently the last week of the regular season. Uh, playoffs are going to start in the next few weeks. 
All fall teams are doing exceptionally well and are top 10 for Division I sports. Uh, the football team had a very impressive 44-0 um, win against Attleboro on homecoming night. Uh, during the halftime game, during the halftime show, excuse me, for that, there were the parades where each of the classes decorated and uh, drove around the track, which is really fun and nice to see. Uh, the Unified Basketball team has another upcoming home game on November 2nd at 6 o'clock in the gym. Uh, last night, the volleyball team took a great 3-1 win against Attleboro, moving into a three-way tie for first place into the Kelly Rex with KP and Attleboro. Uh, there's only one game left to go for them. Uh, the boys soccer team clinched the Kelly Rex division with a win against Attleboro uh, yesterday, so congrats to them. And the golf team has finished their season. Uh, they are currently co-champs of the Kelly Rex division with King Phillip. Uh, special congratulations to Tyler O'Brien, who finished third overall in the Hawkmoth tournament. And the girls soccer team is also uh, performing phenomenal. They are 13-3, and three, have a couple of big upcoming games this week. The field hockey team is 14-1. and one. Uh, Cross country has their Hawkmoth championship meet this Saturday. And looking into the future, winter sports registration is now open on Family ID through November 18th. And winter sports are looking to start on November 28th. So that's all for sports and now Sid will let you know about the class of 2023. Hey everyone, I'm Sid and I'm the class of 2024 vice president. So for the class of 2023, uh, senior quotes for the yearbook are due October 31st. Um, so that's coming up and the, they will soon launch their first fundraiser of the year, which is a raffle calendar, which will be rolled out shortly. Um, they'll be sold in November. And this is to fundraise for future events like senior week, um, and then many kids are applying to colleges with many early action and early deadlines next week and it's a really stressful time for the kids and you know it's it's all coming together for them in the next four years and then moving to whole school news um, student government planned a spectacular homecoming dance that was very su successful with over 1200 students attending and all proceeds went to the Susan J Coleman Breast Cancer Charity. Uh, Franklin High School Theater is currently working on Cinderella, which will be performed on Friday, November 11th, Saturday, November 12th, Friday, November 18th, and Saturday, November 19th, which is certainly something I'll be going to. Um, ski club signups are open to all kids, and it's a first-come, first-served basis. Um, there will be trips to Wachusett every Tuesday in school starting around December or January. Um, Parent-teacher conferences will be on November 9th and November 10th. On November 9th, they'll be in person, and November 10th, they'll be virtual only. And more info on how parents can sign up for those will come out next week. Um, the FHS Academic Learning Center in room 242 um, is open on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays from 2.15 to 3.45 for anyone looking for help for their homework. Um, looking into the future a little bit, SCTs will be held at FHS on November fifth with some juniors taking it and or seniors also taking it. Um, AP exam payments are due November 1st and club activity fees are due November 15th and the quarter, um, first quarter ends for us November 10th. Can you Uh, 
Uh, right now we're leaning towards a restaurant, um, most likely because we've done them in the past. They do tend to have a great show out. Um, we're still looking to which one we might want to do in the town, but uh, that should be finalized soon. Awesome. Can't wait to hear. Yeah. Thank you both so much for coming. No have a great night. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chu. Great. Thank you. Thank you, boys. All right, so first I just want to start off by wishing uh, our families who celebrate Diwali, a uh, festive holiday and a safe holiday. Uh, just to educate our community, uh, Diwali is known as the Festival of Lights. It's recognized in India as their biggest holiday, and it takes course over the course of five days. And uh, during this time, when it occurs in autumn, typically um, in October, uh, it can be summed up as a time of remembrance and embracing good over evil and knowledge over ignorance. So wanted to just uh, give a shout out to our families that celebrate that. Uh, moving forward with some updates. On 10-28, we have a professional development day. Um, the elementary focused on some math training and also um, continued the work on our literacy audit and the survey that's taking place. At the middle level, uh, our six, uh, middle and high school, our six through 12 uh, grade educators continued uh, the new teacher keys to literacy training that occurs for all of our educators in those subject areas. Um, other teachers participated in some content-specific curriculum collaboration uh, at levels. And at the high school, I know that the, um, the civics projects and collaboration occurred as well to look for ways to incorporate civic engagement into the curriculum. Uh, my next update is related to student behavior. I want to give just an update to the school committee, the town, folks listening online. I'll also put this out in writing to families who maybe aren't tuning in so they can read, just to share an update on kind of where we're at um, as a district. Um, I am listing some support of our families. One thing we've talked about is engaging our community, engaging our families as, as partners, and um, a conversation that we have often is, let's give parents and guardians a chance to parent and guardian and try to work with us on a couple of, um, couple of areas. So uh, we've seen an uptick in student behavior uh, this year, and it's typically occurring in some of our less structured areas. So um, you'll see behavior occurring on a bus ride home when the bus driver's mm -hmm. driving. You'll see uh, in transitions in hallways, uh, in cafeterias, and uh, in bathrooms. Some of those areas where they're just less supervised. So I'm really trying to enlist the support of the families, as I said, to help us um, send some reminders to kids and just reinforce positive behavior, if, uh, and that's the ask. So. Here's the answer. You'll hear me say that a few times. I've been adding that just to be clear on what's what's being asked of folks is just to support this, um, support appropriate behavior, have conversations and remind your children about those spaces and reminding them just to be respectful and kind. Um, and if they're having an issue, to let someone know so um, we can have our staff involved in helping to, to resolve any kind of conflicts that are occurring. As far as spectators, um, you heard a little bit about the dance. We had a very successful homecoming dance, so large crowd um, that had uh, the high school. I want to give uh, Principal Hannah, I think he is here, I, um, credit for setting expectation for what's expected if you go, and the students rose to the occasion and showed up, and by all accounts, it was a successful homecoming dance. Um, it's not on accident. I think when we are clear about what we expect and we have families who support that and work with their kids when they send them off, um, and also, we provided a lot of structure. We hired over 20 staff volunteers to help with the dance. We had three police officers. We had administration, central office administration, just to help uh, maintain a safe environment. And uh, that's what it takes for us to do what we need to do 
in order to, to work together. So that's an example of kind of a community coming together to, to create some success there. Um, as far as spectating, we, as you heard from the students, we've had really outstanding play and performance once again from our athletes and our teams. And um, they're competing at high levels. And as a community, I know we share an expectation for our athletes and for our fans that we're gonna demonstrate sportsmanship, integrity, and that's not only on the field, but we expect the same kind of behavior from our fans as well. Um, I sent a reminder like this earlier in the year. I felt like it was responded to positively, but I think it's worth saying again as we continue through this season and continue on. I'll probably say it again. I don't think it hurts. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm enlisting the support of our fan base, um, our students, our families, our community members who attend games to just make sure that we're representing a welcoming environment. So the ask here is, we put out fan expectations, so if you are a parent of a student who attends, just remind them about um, what's expected. I will link our 10 expectations and I'll, I'll reference a few here. So fan cheering is part of the game. It's, uh, it's celebrated, I think it adds to the positive environment. It actually can impact athletes when they hear people cheering for them. Um, when it's done in good taste, it creates a positive environment. When yeah, inappropriate cheering occurs, or there's excessive jeering or taunts or offensive slurs that don't represent our school or our community values, that can have an adverse effect, as you can imagine. So um, what we don't want is to have those create a negative impression for the individual, for the school, for the town, in many ways when those things happen. And I think we've heard, uh, we, we have examples of that when that's demonstrated, and one individual can represent a whole community, unfortunately, when those things happen. So um, I'm asking folks to just remind the children and students and um, about positive participation in our, in our events. Um, one part I wanted to add was we've experienced an increase from the, the meet. I sent a letter in September about middle school attendance at our games and asking families to not drop off kids but uh, attend with an adult and have them supervised. We've seen an, um, an uptick in uh, middle school students who appear to be unattended behind the bleachers particularly. So um, the area behind the bleachers at our varsity games will be off limits um, for folks. And uh, we put a tremendous amount of planning and coordination in organizing these events. Our athletic director, our principal, our administration, we have ticket collectors, we have event supervisors, pep band, staff members, we have a police detail, and there's a tremendous amount of responsibility trying to manage the event, which is the game, and we want to focus our attention towards the game. Um, but when we have to kind of monitor two fronts, behind the bleachers is not an area that um, we, can, we can afford to have um, folks have to expend a lot of time. And um, so what we are doing um, is if you are a Franklin High student, you attend the football games as you would. If you are not a Franklin High student or you're an elementary or middle school student, we ask that a parent accompany their child to the game and be with their child um, throughout the game. Um, at, at that game and not let um, students. Um, I did notice, I've been going to every home game. Um, I, I mentioned this so that we don't run into a bigger problem, but I did notice last game it was more students than I was comfortable. I had to clear that field myself at one point because it was so packed with students and it just doesn't feel like where we should be focusing our energy when we have a lot going on in other areas. So that, that's it. if students are found to be in attendance and they're not a company, we're gonna call the families and ask them to come pick them up um, at that point. So my a goal in communicating this is to avoid any kind of problems moving forward. 
There is, uh, for example, we have many game athletes, uh, I'm sorry, many teams participating in the playoffs. I expect a high turnout. We have great fan support in this town, um, but I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with what that can look like and should look like, and um, just try to avoid any, any issues in that area. Um, the other pieces I have in here are around just social media use. A reminder, we put out, uh, we did a critical conversation last year around social media use and the impact. Um, there have been um, situations where I find that our admin across all levels are spending um, a significant amount of time investigating issues that occur throughout the week. Um, we've even seen you know, some, some physical altercations as a result of something born online and occurred. And, and we're looking for help from our community and from our families as well. Um, we certainly have a job to do as a school in investigating and creating a safe environment during school. Um, but it's, it's hard when um, online behavior can occur outside of the school hours but make its way back in. So we're looking for folks to just work with their children on reminding them around what they text, what they say, um, their online behavior. If they're in a situation where they're experiencing some difficulty, let an adult know, let their parents know. Um, communicate with the school if they have a trusted adult so we can try to help intervene before things escalate. Um, that would be a, a real help because I think we do spend a lot of time, but um, with the hours we have them during the school day, I think this has to be a, a joint effort for us to, to move this work forward. Um, finally, the final point I wanted to make was around communication in general. Uh, as we have navigated the school year, um, certainly I recognize as a parent when there's ever a concern related to your child, um, it can be uh, heightening, it can certainly create concern and anxiety and frustration. Um, all those feelings can come out. Um, and this is a, a plea that unfortunately when those things escalate and um, communication becomes escalated, you know, I, I found that our admin and, and some of our staff have been on the receiving end of some pretty aggressive, angry, um, emails, um, voicemails, and conversations that I don't know lead to us being able to um, leave those conversations or read those emails and leave in a place where, where we resolve the issue. I think it leads to more frustration in some ways. So um, it's not to take away from someone who may be frustrated with what they are experiencing, but the approach to that, um, certainly I want to put a plea out to our families around when you experience that um, to try to come from a place of resolving the problem, communicating it, and um, I know that our admin team and, and our teachers and staff are all interested to partner and work with families to resolve problems. I don't think it serves us to be at odds with, with any family. So those were the, the big updates that I wanted to provide and just set the stage for kind of some of the expectations I will put in the letter to share with families that I hope will be helpful. Um, the final piece I have is around November 8th is a professional development day that we have and it's our uh, full professional development day. And in the morning, the teachers will um, work in grade-specific professional development. Um, the teachers um, will focus on reading instruction, and at the secondary level, there'll be some building-based PD on content-specific areas. Um, what we're excited about is, uh, you may remember last year, when we had our professional development day in November, we did a, an afternoon where our colleagues came together and we have this year over 70 educators are gonna be offering sessions for their colleagues to learn and develop practices and present ideas and strategies and facilitate roundtable discussions and collaborate and design and create curriculum. So these teachers uh, will be able to attend three sessions throughout the afternoon. We're really excited 
I want to thank Dr. Rogers and Dr. Frazier for their leadership in the PD world and coordinating that with our digital learning integrationists to put the, that system together. And um, we're excited about that day. So. Thank you. Uh, My only question was about the PD, which I'm really excited about. Um, in my district, we do that, and it's so fun to attend sessions that are designed by your colleagues and hosted by your colleagues. Um, when they've been less successful, it's because it's some company that comes in and they run a session and they're trying to like sell you the product. So I just wanted to ask what percentage is companies like that? <laughs> So I believe if the number is 70, I think we have about 90 sessions. There are six, six 50 minute sessions that are led by vendors. Um, those vendors are products that we already have in house that are offering a little bit more of an extension to learning that's already taken place. So that makes me very happy. Yeah, there. I've, it, it hasn't happened often, but I've sat in a session and felt like I am stuck at one of those timeshares right now. <laughs> what I will say with those sessions is that they are either co-facilitated, well, they are all going to be co-facilitated by um, a staff member. By staff member. Yep. Yay. Awesome. That's my only question. Dave? Uh, thank you very much. Um, I just have two questions, comments, actually about something I had just reading uh, in the news uh, leading up to this. And so uh, one of them was a story about the ESSER fundings. And uh, one, and I, I know I've said this before, I would really kind of commend uh, central office. This article was talking about those districts that you know might not have spent all the ESSER funding um, you know, by the time that you know, September 30th next year kind of rolls around. Um, and uh, you know, Miriam, I always appreciate every time that I ask, probably like a dozen times now, that we're definitely spending all the ESSER funds well in advance. You never mind, you know, continuing to repeat the exact same answer. Um, but uh, as we kind of start to look forward with some of the ESSER fundings, I know there was a lot of, uh, I mean, programs and initiatives that we were able to kickstart with the ESSER funding, with the intent to kind of roll into the operating budget uh, in the future. And one thing uh, just that kind of popped into my head as I was reading this, one maybe ask or recommendation would be for any of these uh, initiatives that were funded you know, solely with ESSER that's going to kind of change in the future, that we have a lot of um, kind of concrete examples to be able to show you know, what this bought us. Because I know that like, uh, for me, I feel like the budget season, like I still had Christmas lights hanging up and I was getting the budget book. Like it came fast. And so I would love to be able to have well in advance, you know, like a lot of really good, you know, uh, examples of, you know, what this is and how, you know, why it was so valuable and why I want to roll that into the operating budget um, you know, just earlier than later, um, if I could. Sure. Um, and something else, too, I was reading the, uh, the Mass State Auditor uh, just last week released um, an audit talking about uh, within the Commonwealth, they estimated there'd be about uh, like $1.2 billion in unfunded mandates. And they, they really did an in-depth uh, kind of look into all the different you know, unfunded mandates are out there, how much it's costing all the municipalities. And so I know that you know, one thing is you know, we can you know, kind of move forward and request like a mandate determination. Uh, we can also kind of just reach out to our legislators to say, like, you know, here's, you know, here's the audit, here's some of the numbers. 
Um, but I didn't know if that's something as a committee that we wanted to kind of work on to kind of draft something together. I don't know if that's just something that, you know, Miriam, we might be able to kind of have a conversation about to talk about, um, you know, what are some of these unfunded mandates that are being brought up in this audit that we might be able to, to address and to reach out to either get, uh, especially with the surplus kind of coming, uh, you know, some funding for that, or, you know, the alternative is uh, the ability to, uh, to kind of not have to follow that unfunded mandate. But I didn't know if that would be something that we would all kind of work together on or have like a subcommittee, or just kind of just communications you and I might be able to have. And maybe that's a question for Madam Chairwoman or, or anybody at large. Sorry, so, <laughs> so, of course, I will tell you if you want to have that discussion, I'm happy to have that in, in this type of a setting or in a private setting if that's what you're more comfortable with. Um, I have, uh, the last time I updated our unfunded mandate listing, um, which was really just an excerpt of unfunded mandates because there are a lot of them and many of them are very difficult to quantify. Um, so the last time I did look at that uh, in depth was um, in 2020, uh, in, in, in November of 2020, in fact. Um, so, I, you know, I can, I can update that. I know that um, the FinCom put out a request to perhaps talk about unfunded mandates as well. Um, unfunded mandates, you know, my opinion, they, they level the playing field in terms of every district has to um, um, comply, I guess I will say with unfunded mandates, um, so so they might cost more in different districts because of the population or the demographics uh, in that district, but every district is, is complying with them, and um, um, certainly we can have that discussion um, at whatever level you'd like to, to uh, partake, and if there are particular ones you'd like me to look into, I'm happy to do that. Okay, perfect, yeah, I had kind of uh, pulled a few of them, so maybe I'll Flip sure. them away. Because it just kind of came up, it's something that, you know, I think that right now with that article right on the heels, you know, the iron's hot, so it might be a great opportunity, even, you know, if there are any funds that we might be able to, to kind of push our way to our district, I think would be, sure. would be helpful. So, all right, wonderful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Council? Yeah. Uh, so, Mr. Gear, uh, you mentioned a uptick in student behavior in the <coughs> uh, lesser structured areas. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that in terms of? Like what are we seeing happening in which groups or which areas, um, grade levels that we see this happen more in? Sure, sure. So we're definitely seeing um, just lunch behavior, behaviors um, when students are going to get lunch, you know, pushing, shoving, those types of things um, at the middle level, and I would say the high school as well, um, when they're going in to get food in that serving area would be one area. I think another uh, port out of that is really the comments and things being made. I think we live in a Kind of a culture where some of the, um, I think um, students who are kind of navigating a hallway and trying to get from A to B, um, we've received reports typically when we investigate something, it's from something that was said, and it's typically in a hallway or in an area where they're leaving school and whatnot. So um, my plea was just around trying to coach kids up on, you know, like we, when we I don't know if I'm dating myself, but like if you don't have any positive say, don't say it kind of thing. Um, that would be my ask, and that's what I'm going to reinforce with my own. Um, the bus has become an area. We've had um, some physical altercations on buses, and we've had some problems that have come out of the bus where words have been exchanged in a, in a, a few of our bus settings at the, the middle and high school level. Um, 
and cafeteria, bus, hallways, and bathrooms. You know, one thing that we're paying attention to. We've seen um, an increase in the, we have vape detectors. We applied for a grant a few years ago and we received it, they were installed. Um, we have vaping happening in our high school bathrooms that I can speak to today. Um, that have required us to really look to rededicate and repurpose some of our resources to help us monitor um, those areas. But um, that's an area, and you know what, with vaping, the health of a student is like the first priority. We've provided a few options and opportunities for engagement with our students through the Mass Partnership with youth, for Youth and our families, and um, we take that seriously. Uh, but ultimately, we, uh, where uh, the vapes are coming, it, they're not, we're not issuing, a bit, I'm not saying that sarcastically. <laughs> I mean to say, uh, the vapes are coming into school somehow. So we're looking for ways. We've offered Hidden in Plain Sight, which is through the um, Substance Abuse Task Force and the Safe Coalition with Jen Knight, and have provided that at a few of our open houses. I think that would be something we want to continue to bring back, because you'd be surprised what uh, a vape can look like in many ways. And um, I'm gonna be sharing that in my letter as well with some detail about what to look for. But it was an ask to families, like if we can prevent and try to look for ways to work together to stop um, those types of things from from coming in. We have an obligation during the school hours, but we're trying to just work together and expand our communication and enlist some support. And I don't want to paint a rosy picture that uh, everything's perfect because we have areas that we're working on and we are trying really hard and it feels most appropriate that we try to work together and help us reinforce some of those behaviors, so. So thank you, that's been sure. very informative. Um, I appreciate the, your approach to include the families and really hit it on both fronts. I think more traction that way. Um, has there been any thoughts maybe leverage um, advisory to bring some of this in as well down the road if, if, if we see this continue to happen? Yes, so one, I, I should mention, it also occurs during a health education curriculum. Um, I can get you the, the information on that. But um, yes, the idea is right now in advisory, the work, they work through kind of a team building and working together. Um, each grade level um, will continue to have a different focus, but these are the things that we need to be hitting with our students and, and engaging our kids in. So um, the answer is yes to that. And um, like I said, it's not a matter of shifting responsibility. It's more expanding responsibility. Thank you. And it's no judgment. I get it. And we're, we're, just trying, we're just trying to create a healthy environment where kids can enter and be successful and belong. And we'll talk more about that later. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, this update, and um, yeah, certainly yeah, um, starting to hear about the uptick in uh, uptick in student behaviors. But I, you know, we've you know, been talking a lot this past few weeks of the district improvement plans in regards to multiple levels of support, as well as the you know, data tracking implementation that we're going to be to help um, create you know, plans, uh, support plans, mm -hmm. and assistance you know, over the course of students' careers and. Hopefully, um, we certainly hope that over the next year we see um, good progress in regards to the implementation of those and addressing it. So, hopefully, we're being very proactive on that. And I appreciate you sharing information the past couple weeks. So, I um, we look forward to seeing how those bear out and how we can continue to improve upon those to um, reduce the number of student behaviors that we're seeing and make for a more positive and healthy and safe learning environment for students, teachers, and all this stuff. Thank you. <coughs> Um, I'm going to continue with the, the behavior theme, um, even though I was excited about the PD answer too. That sounds, that sounds great. And just to clarify, this Friday is a half day, 
and then the 18th. Yes, full half day, day on the 28th. Yeah. It's a full day on November 8th. Yeah. And it's voting day, yeah. election day. That's true. Um, so I, I think it's great to be working with families to support their respectful behavior in school. Kids need to know that they can come to school and feel safe and feel ready to learn and not feel like they're being paranoid about somebody at, you know, in the hallway after class or something like that. So they take that off the table so they can just focus on chemistry or social studies sure. or whatever it is. Um, it made me remember the, the amazing critical conversations that the Substance Abuse Task Force, Task Force put on last spring, I think it was, on social media, yeah. that last spring. spring. Um, and I think that's a really good resource for people who didn't see it or people who saw it. And sometimes watching those takes the things more than once. You hear something different every time. Um, and so I was reminding myself that it would be good to, to find that. Where, where can that be found? Um, that's that should be posted. We've switched roles when I moved. So I had like an assistant superintendent tab. I think we reshuffled a few things. So um, what I can do is, in my write-up for tonight, is the basically the draft of the letter I'll send. I will link. I'll link it so it's easy for everybody just to see if they're interested to look and, and see that. And I think that'd be so helpful. I wanted to just say, um, when I mentioned earlier, um, we have a kind of a context of students who uh, might make comments to one another. I, I want to. I'm reminded of the messaging and the modeling our students receive on a daily basis when you look at a feed or YouTube Shorts or you know any type of post um, out there. You can get messages that are sent to you that model um, sarcasm or model um, just comments and things like that. And I don't think it's exclusive to any group or student. I just think it's like the nature. So when we're trying to address those things in school, there's a larger context as well that. Um, I'm aware of, and uh, you know, I, I get that I receive messaging when I look at my phone that can, you know, lead to. So that's kind of the context that I, I want to make sure we're clear on. I'm not sure our students, without education and reminders from school and from families, I'm not sure what they might, what each kid would consider to be offensive, or I'm not. I don't want to assume that every kid making a comment is really understanding the gravity of it either. Mm -hmm. So I think that's our charge as educators and families, and I think that's what we have to kind of work together towards. So thank you for asking that question. Right, and I think there is like a contextual thing, like I tell my seventh grade all the time, a joke you would tell to your friend, you don't tell it when your mother's around, or you don't tell it when your sister's in the car, it's not appropriate. It's like, sure. But my friend thinks it's funny. Yeah, but I don't, right. neither does she, it's not appropriate. So it's like they have to, you know, they have to learn those different Concepts and that can be, um, sure. there can be growing pains there. Right. Um, so it sounds like, as far as just continuing along the lines of behavior, it sounds like there are a lot of resources um, being spent on behavior, not just preventing behavior or managing behavior in the moment, but then sort of the follow up if, if behavior sort of necessity, some type of investigation process. And it's a lot of work to run in school. And these administrators, like, this isn't their their only role, this isn't their only responsibility, is just to manage behaviors and sort of set this up and think it through and, and state the expectations. They've got a whole lot of other things, lots of balls in the air, lots of things on their plate, and it's, um, you know, it, it's necessary and it's critical and it's urgent, mm -hmm. um, but I think I get sort of nervous about like, well, like are we spreading, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of work and are we spreading admin too thin? And then what's, like, where, where is it gonna give? Mm -hmm. And I think my, you know, understanding, 
the philosophy um, and implementation of social emotional learning in schools mm -hmm. is after a couple years of all the kids getting instruction about how to get along and how to you know be nice to each other and respect differences and disagree respectfully and all those sort of those sort of um, the practice throughout the years mm -hmm. like like these things hopefully will be less and less often but that doesn't help today right. So I, I'm glad to hear the homecoming dance went well, um, but it sounds like there was a lot of a lot of manpower there, or a lot of adults there um, to to ensure that. And I think you know, commending administration to to understand like we need to be proactive, we need to um, set everybody up for success, um, and be very clear about the expectations. But that again takes a lot of resources and time and energy and. Um, Thank you to administration and all the chaperones who were there that night and um, our police department for helping to support. Um, but also, you know, I guess just echoing your plea for families to, to um, model and talk to their kids about um, being respectful to each other. Thank you. you know, it definitely behavior when, it's, when there is an uptick can tax the system and um, pull administrators that we want to be focused on those goals and the areas that we presented, um, it certainly can, but we recognize too, this is not a shift in, uh, or a blame situation. I'm really saying this, and I mean this with all sincerity, it's a it's a group effort, a community effort, if we're gonna help. And I'm just looking for people to pull the people they love the most, which are their children, in and just have some conversations and reminders around how can we how can we help this and, um, and work together. So thank you for, for pointing that out. Right, because it's the whole culture, the whole community of the school. If it was just one or two kids, you just talk to one or two kids. You wouldn't sure. be talking here in front of, for all the families. And so I think that's the thing, like building the culture and the community and really reinforcing that we respect each other and um, we don't have to agree on things, but we can get along. Um, it's important. So thanks. Thank you. Nate? Um, yeah, thank you, Lucas, for, for the presentation. And um, yeah, I think, you know, engaging our parents. So Kids' parents um, as a you know, community help is something good idea. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so moving right along to our town's report, we have guest presentations. Uh, Mr. Chakir, if you wouldn't mind saying that. Sure. So we will, I'll transition over to the table. Please with do. Mrs. Morano, our assistant superintendent of student learning. Uh, Ms. Heidi Harris, our Director of Ec Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and also uh, Mrs. Dr. Rogers is going to ask to stay and set up the system. So tonight in the series of plans that we are rolling out, um, we've talked a little bit about our district improvement plan, we've talked about our school improvement plan, and now we're at the stage um, where each of our schools has presented and we're here for the diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And I will kick it off and just provide some context. I know that we're going to pull up a, a presentation. I introduced everybody quickly, but I don't think we've had um, Heidi here to actually talk and, and introduce. I'll let you just introduce yourself, and then we can kick <laughs> off. So I felt bad about speaking for you. No worries. Good evening, everyone. Um, 
I'm happy to be here and to report out on our equity audit and just give you an update on just kind of where we're going with the work. So far, I have enjoyed my time in Franklin. Everyone has been very, very supportive. Um, and we have amazing students here. So. Thank you. Okay. So, say again. Oh, good. So, uh, and I will introduce Amanda, um, who should be on right now, Sakari Preston. I see her face. Hello, Amanda. Amanda works for the public consulting group um, who did the equity audit. So, I, uh, Amanda, hello from the from the chambers. Thank you for being here. So, just to set the context for the presentation, um, you'll see we have on the screen our district initiatives. So, we've reviewed these um, with you. These were the main areas, but if you look at number five, it really focused on developing an equity action plan. I know the questions came up throughout the presentations where we talked about that. So to just set the context for tonight, look at this in three phases. The first phase is for us to provide context on DEI and what does that actually mean and what does that mean to Franklin. The second part will be to allow Amanda to jump on and talk a little bit about the equity audit and the process that, um, that we undertook in the spring. And then at the end, we'll talk more about our outcomes and our actions, okay? So as far as our timeline, uh, we have, uh, in the spring we conducted the audit. Over the summer and the fall, um, the district consulted uh, with PCG to look at the audit results to kind of work through some of those findings. And also at that same time as we were onboarding our um, new DEI director, we saw an opportunity to continue that transition and provide some coaching support um, from, from PCG and um, allow us to, to roll into the fall. Um, we had a finalized report and presentation and here we are um, tonight um, meeting with you. We consider this, you can't hear me well? Okay, there okay. we go. So as we worked with um, Mirko Chardon, the keynote we had who works in this area, uh, you may remember from the first day of school, he talks about year zero and that's when you get um, information, how do you build off of it and grow and develop a plan? And we'll talk more about that in detail tonight. Um, we are um, going to provide a, a community engagement opportunity on November 19th for families who want to continue this conversation from the presentation. And uh, obviously the equity action plan is uh, part of the development that we'll look to achieve by the end of the year. Okay. All right, so diversity, equity, inclusion. Sometimes we get asked what is DEI? The DEI committee created this and uh, right now there's a lot of words up there but I would just point to make some meaning of it diversity is really what we consider in Franklin Public Schools is the reflection of people's unique differences right individual identity their, their thoughts ideas perspectives and values when we think about equity we think about making sure that every student who walks through our doors has an opportunity has the resources and support that they need to access their education and to ultimately attain the skills of a portrait of a grad. And finally with inclusion, it's around trying to create a community where we value and respect each other's um, input, particularly um, decisions that may impact their lives. What that really means to me, I've talked about this before, 
But um, the why in this work, and I think about, I've used this reference before, but it's important to me, and it kind of resonates, is when I wake up in the morning, I told you, sometimes I'm advantaged by being able to drive and drop my kids off at school, and I pulled up to that um, school drop-off line, and I'll let my kids out of my truck, and watch them, watch them walk in, and then I watch them walk in with a lot of different kids. Some kids are getting off a van, some are getting off a big yellow bus, some are walking, some are riding a bike. And uh, in all those cases, they're coming from all walks of life, um, all with different experiences, right? Some are, some are carrying um, trauma and entering our buildings. Some are advantaged in different ways, maybe, maybe um, socioeconomically. Some may be disadvantaged. Some um, may come in uh, in good health and in uh, a, a good situation. And at the end of the day, the, uh, they will all get educated. And they will all, our goal is to make sure everyone comes into our building and gets the education they deserve. So when I think about that, and I have that visual of them walking through those doors, every single kid who converges on our schools, we have a responsibility to educate. And I think a lot about the only requirement is that they rest their head in Franklin, which is something I take seriously too. Um, but ultimately, that's, what, um, that's what's required. And in, in the matter of a week's time, I think I might have mentioned this in my interview, I can remember sitting with um, a family that had just moved here uh, who was relocating from another country uh, and meeting with them to talk about what would be in place, how would we support them. And then literally like an hour later, I was with a fifth generation Franklin family who had, the, had uh, different, different uh, needs and supports. And, in both cases, we said I had met with two different teams, completely not connected, and the mission was to just make sure that we're doing everything we can to support kids and provide that education they deserve. So, um, if I was to try to root my why and what I mean by this work, it's really, really focused on belonging and just making sure people feel like they belong. Okay. And here is the portrait of a graduate. Um, I'm just going to read it because I don't want to leave anything out, but um, Franklin has really strong elements uh, that make up the portrait of a graduate. And we believe if we anchor um, these elements within uh, an equity lens, then, so we turn it into an if-then student, an uh, if-then statement, then students will express pride, confidence, and healthy self-esteem without denying the value and dignity of other people. Our next slide, for those that are a little more visual, um, we have this image from the Robert Wood Found Johnson Foundation. And our friends on the top side of the slide, um, three of them are struggling a little bit. They all have the same materials, but they're struggling. And the bottom of the slide, everybody has what they need. They adapted the resources so that everybody is getting to the finish line. And then the equity statement that was created by the DEI committee um, last year. Um, I think it's a beautiful equity statement. Um, it's one that's a living statement, so as the co committee continues to work, it may evolve. But um, if you look at number one, it speaks to affirming diversity, not tolerating, but affirming diversity. Number two talks about promoting equity by disrupting barriers to success for all students. And three, 
speaks of that sense of belonging and having feel, kids feel connected to their school communities, and that includes the hallways, the cafeterias, the bus, in addition to the classroom. This is a quote from the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents and a framework they put out um, related to this work, and it just it resonated, and we thought we would add it here. So um, I will read it because it's how we can really capture the quote. But belonging, what we mean and what resonated was belonging is the ongoing culture created to have all people feel welcome. Cultivating belonging deepens how we understand and support each other. And it's manifested in the relationships, conversations, physical space, and written word. So uh, what resonates in that last sentence for me is around, you know, when we talk about that word belonging, it can have a lot of different meanings to, to people. But what we're really trying to get at is like the interactions, the things that we see, the conversations that take place um, throughout a school day, throughout any part of our life is really about, that's how you create belonging. It's not an action plan with all the steps Right? The plan should be about how we help people create relationships and engage in conversations that, that are, are welcoming and really navigate the space around them and, and make sure that our practices and policies are all in line with that too when we think about written words. So. In our why. These are some pictures of our students in, in our in our buildings that um, we really, our commitment, you know, when we think about this work, and it, it can be tough, and I know that, and uh, it, we have a blue screen, so <laughs> it can be hard to present. No, um, on a serious note, you know, when we think about why we do the work, and, you know, I know that there are, clearly this topic alone, um, you know, can bring out uh, different feelings and different perspectives on this, but ultimately what I want to just share is that we're really interested when I look at the, the kids that we have in our buildings. This is why we do this work. This is why we're here. And we're really trying to create those environments and want people to, to feel welcomed and respected in, in each of those areas. So, okay. All right, so um, we'll pause there for a minute. That was kind of phase one, kind of setting the groundwork in the stage. And when we think about uh, the next stage, it's the second part. It's really having uh, our consultant from the public consulting group uh, really talk to us a little bit about uh, the audit and how that was done. And I'm going to kick it over to Amanda at this point. She's the senior consultant for PCG. Great. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Amanda preston Sakari. I am the senior consultant here with uh, public consulting group on our education strategies team. and I co-leaded our team's equity work across the country, um, across New England, um, and I have had the pleasure of getting to know you all in Franklin over the last six months or so, working closely with superintendent and, and um, leadership team through a few transitions and, and new additions, um, and, it, and it has been um, really great working with you all. So um, I am going to share uh, an overview of our equity audit um, is it possible to get the screen sharing um, ability on our end? What I'd like to do for very long and thorough uh, school report in presentation form that has been shared with 
um, the superintendent and the superintendent's team. Uh, this is a much abbreviated version of that. Really just wanting to share um, how we went about the equity audit uh, over the course of the last few months, the kind of things we looked um, at and for, um, and then uh, a couple of our key uh, priority recommendations and, and findings there that we have been working with the leadership team in the district over the summer and the beginning of the fall uh, to start uh, already doing a lot of uh, really great work um, to get set up for success in year zero uh, and beyond. Aha, I can share now, perfect. So starting off with this, um, the framework of the equity audit to uh, just, uh, share how we, we went about this process over the last few months. So starting with our commitment to, to educational equity and that, what that means to us as we're coming into this work. Um, Heidi, I think, shared a, that wonderful graphic of the bicycles and this idea that um, everyone is getting what they need in order to succeed with a particular focus um, on students and communities that are uh, historically marginalized or treated with low expectations um, due to race, cultural, linguistic diversity, uh, disability, gender identity, and any number of, of uh, different categories. But really keeping in mind that uh, we're trying to uh, make sure that we're looking at ways that the district can meet the need of every single student in Franklin. So uh, the way that we frame our equity work is through these six buckets of equity and inclusion. So climate and culture, human resources, student outcomes, curriculum and professional learning, policy and practices and resource allocation. Um, so really digging into these six areas to answer that overarching question of how do the policies, practices, and processes in Franklin Public Schools promote educational equity, and where are there opportunities for improvement? So some of the uh, methodology that we used uh, when working with you all in Franklin, we started off with a data and document review. We requested a lot of information from the district. We used a lot of publicly available information from DESE, things like MCAS and, and other data that's available. But then within each of our buckets uh, and our focus areas, uh, looked at things like policies, manuals, uh, reports, surveys, um, intervention information, professional development and training. And so this is really a sample of some of the sources that we looked at in order to get at that uh, overarching question of um, how Franklin is serving each student in the district from an equity lens. And so um, this is just an example of some of those things that we reviewed. We also were able to spend some time in Franklin, which was great. Um, loved meeting a lot of the community members, especially the students. Speaking with students is always our favorite part of this work. Um, we held individual interviews with leaders across the district, school committee members, and then uh, we conducted 10 community focus groups um, and encouraged uh, feedback via email and ended up receiving um, almost a dozen really great, thoughtful um, contributions via email as well. So we always try really hard to make sure that we are trying to capture as uh, broad a swath of voices from across the community as possible. 
um, in, in formulating our findings uh, and recommendations in these audits. So one of the things that is uh, that was unique about our work with Franklin is that you all already had a plan, uh, a plan to have a plan coming into this audit. And so we knew ahead of time that you were hoping to uh, take this equity audit uh, results and really deepen and develop this uh, equity action plan for the district. And so you were already a few steps ahead um, by the time we started this work. And so what we've been able to do with um, the superintendent's leadership team over the last few months and working directly with, um, with Heidi and others is really think about what that equity action plan um, could look like and include. And the idea is that the team, the equity task force, the DEI committee, you know, that's working on building this uh, action plan out would take the full equity audit report, all of the recommendations and findings within that, dig into it, um, and work to kind of prioritize and organize uh, those actions and plans um, into this framework that um, the district has already been developing. So thinking about things like, um, being really explicit about the plan and where you're going to go. Um, as uh, Heidi shared earlier, uh, that clear vision and common language for equity across um, the district is really important. And there's already a great start to that um, with the vision statement that was shared earlier. Um, those communication plans, how we're going to talk about equity and this plan and the progress made moving forward. Um, one key piece here, of course, is that while the director of DDI, while um, Heidi should absolutely be leading this effort, this should be seen as the work of everyone in the community because equity needs to really undergird all of the work of educating um, in Franklin and in, in any district. And then, of course, publicly tracking progress towards the goals of the district so that um, there are regular updates and the community is aware of what's going on and the work still to come. So what I'm gonna share next are two, our two top priority recommendations. As I'll speak to in a little bit, there are a lot more recommendations and findings in the full equity audit. I wanted to really um, prioritize these two elements, which based on our findings in this equity audit, we recommended these as kind of the first two um, to, to implement immediately and focus on in developing that year zero of the equity action plan. And I know that uh, the leadership team is gonna speak to some of the great work that's already been done in these areas as well, um, which is really exciting. So those two pieces are a district-wide discipline matrix and then what we're calling awareness campaigns. One thing I want to lay out uh, um, before I dig into some of uh, these two recommendations is what we're calling the rules for engagement. Um, we assured everyone that we spoke to um, that not only would we respect and keep folks' confidentiality, um, but this idea of this uh, equity audit is to enact impactful change for each and every stakeholder. Um, that equity and perceptions and experiences of equity are rooted in each individual's experience. No matter the number of perspectives heard, each perspective is important and included. Um, and as a reminder, just that the foundation of equity is providing voice to non-dominant groups. Um, so knowing that in a community, the size of Franklin, which may not be the biggest, 
um, in terms of sheer numbers of different subgroups of students and community members that we took very seriously each individual um, experience and perception and that is reflected in our full report as well as what we ask that y'all keep in mind um, when looking through our findings there. So priority number one is the district-wide discipline matrix. What that means is really establishing clear and consistent consequences for bullying and microaggressions. That can include um, removal of extracurricular privileges in a consistent way, including athletics um, and access to athletics. This includes um, training on identifying incidents to respond to, um, explicit expectations and accountability for consistency of implementation, um, and implementing a, a log, a place where uh, these complaints, infractions, uh, can be tracked and reviewed by administration. Um, and the idea here is really what's highlighted in blue here, clear and consistent across the district. Um, in, a, in alignment with that matrix would be uh, a discipline team um, that would be formed to review these uh, discipline infractions on a regular basis from an equity lens. Now to be clear, this is supplementing, this is not replacing the existing prescribed uh, mandated appeals process. It is just to ensure that uh, anything happening um, around discipline implementation is happening through that equity lens um, as we look at some of that data. Now, with each of these two priority recommendations, I'm gonna share some of the findings from the report that align with um, these recommendations. And so for the discipline matrix, there were some of the related findings. These are experiences and perceptions that were shared with us in interviews, in focus groups, in emails, um, and helped form our recommendations for the district. So the two, two main ones were a lack of fear responses to in-school harassment and bullying. So perceptions of unfair um, or inequitable discipline practices, um, the lack of consistency, um, and staff feeling unaware of actions to take in response to hearing certain things, certain slurs or, or behavior. Um, and staff express a desire to learn more about that and how to, to address those. And we heard a lot this uh, perception of preferential treatment of athletes and or um, popular students or students perceived as popular by other students. Um, there's a belief that uh, athletes do not face repercussions for bullying and discriminatory actions. Um, and th similarly, those students uh, who were seen as uh, being popular, which is often overlapped with um, those who were, who were athletes. Um, and so this unfair and inequitable practices, um, particularly for uh, student athletes um, or students seen as popular was a big piece uh, and a theme that we heard in a lot of these conversations with stakeholders. Um, and I wanted to also share some quantitative data that uh, relates to the uh, recommendation of the uh, consistent uh, district-wide discipline matrix. Um, risk ratio analysis is a really powerful tool, especially um, in districts where uh, the sheer numbers of students and student groups may be smaller. 
what our risk ratio allows us to do is see um, compared to any other student in the, in the district, what does a student of a certain subgroup, what is their likelihood to receive a disciplinary infraction compared to anyone else in the district? Um, if there are student subgroups with fewer than 10 students, they were not included in this analysis um, from the interest of protecting student privacy. And I won't go too deep into each of these, but just wanted to share some um, as examples of some of the findings that backed up that uh, re priority recommendation of the district-wide discipline matrix. Uh, by race and ethnicity, we could see that uh, Hispanic or Latinx students are 2.9 times as likely to have been disciplined to have received a discipline infraction uh, than all other students in the district. Uh, male students are 1.7 times as likely to have received a disciplinary infraction than all other students in the district. Students with IEPs are 1.8 times as likely to have received a disciplinary infraction than all other students. Uh, and economically disadvantaged students are 2.2 times as likely to have discipline to have been disciplined or received a disciplinary infraction than all other students in the district. And what I do also want to emphasize is that um, Franklin is not unique in these um, in these risk ratios. Um, and this is something that uh, school districts struggle with across the country. Um, but these are all data points that we wanted to include to uh, show that tie into that priority recommendation of ensuring a consistent equity focused uh, matrix for discipline across the district um, to hopefully uh, move the needle on some of these uh, disproportionalities. Our second priority recommendation, we're calling awareness campaigns. These are really uh, marketing and communication and messaging campaigns in response to several topics that stakeholders were unaware of, felt were underserved, or had a perceived lack of transparency um, in the conversations that we had across the district. Um, things like what is equity, uh, why should we focus on equity, why should I care about equity, it really explains and celebrates the hiring of Heidi as the DEI director and, and um, highlights and explains the vision of educational equity in the district. Um, celebrating diversity at Franklin Public Schools, um, it was great to hear the superintendent open up uh, this meeting with a celebration of uh, Diwali, so things like cultural highlights. Um, student and staff spotlights, being able to highlight members of your community uh, with diverse backgrounds or interests, um, student club celebrations with kind of public and posted calendars of events to really get the word out about all of the different um, elements of diversity happening across the district and the community. Um, other awareness campaigns uh, that we recommend uh, based on our, on our equity audit anti-bullying campaigns, kindness campaigns, connecting across Franklin campaigns, so um, really building out time for uh, building trust and, and community between teachers, families, leaders, and students, really having relationship building and structured time to build that kind of rapport um, and uh, highlighting those and other SEL efforts uh, happening in the district. And a few of the uh, related findings for those. Again, these are experiences and perceptions that were shared with us. 
Um, an overall lack of understanding of the issues, both within schools, staff, students, community members. Um, we heard uh, questions around the necessity of focusing on DEI due to the perceived lack of diversity in the Franklin community. Um, there was also a perception that students felt that there was sometimes unintentional, uh, sometimes intentional ignorance um, regarding the use of pronouns and other issues related to students in the LGBTQIA community. Um, and so just that lack of understanding, uh, one of the things that we think that the awareness campaign can get is helping to build that, as well as a perception of a lack of learning opportunities for students. Um, and so staff uh, expressed uh, wanting equitable access for students and providing students the appropriate opportunities to learn about these topics. Um, some students expressed frustration that um, while there are some opportunities to learn, um, the lack of accountability or expectations for all students to learn more about these issues um, meant that the students who weren't choosing to opt into these groups or these learning experiences were the ones who actually really needed this the most. Um, and so wanting more opportunities for that learning and understanding across the community and not um, within pockets. And then finally, uh, there are external influences on the district culture and climate that are beyond the scope and control of the Franklin and public schools leadership and do have large consequences within the schools. Um, so we did hear pervasive misperceptions of DEI work in general and a lack of understanding of matters related to equity across the community, um, both in community focus groups, staff and student ones. Um, for example, the conversation that is going on nationally around critical race theory, uh, the appropriateness of content in schools, um, and we saw that a lot in Franklin and heard it from a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, and we believe that while those external uh, influences are outside of the uh, scope and control of the district leadership, uh, these awareness campaigns could uh, uh, go a long way towards kind of moving the needle here on community understanding um, and appreciation of the issues. So in terms of the next steps, as I mentioned before, there's a long uh, full report available um, that the uh, district has already been working with and really uh, building off of in really great ways. There are a total of, of 38 findings that all have multiple related um, recommendations uh, and analysis and data points and visualizations um, that touch in each of the equity audit focus areas. Um, and digging into each of these findings will really help um, uh, Heidi and the uh, DEI task force really organize and prioritize action plans and goals for the district moving forward. Um, and as was shared earlier, um, really wanting to leverage those priority areas identified um, in the audit and aligned with the findings um, for use in the planning, um, the multi-year action plan starting from year zero, identifying those short, medium, and long-term goals um, to really make an impact for each and every student in Franklin Public Schools. So thank you so much. Um, it has been a pleasure working with you all over the last six months. Um, and I'm uh, happy you have been invited to be here and speak to you tonight. Thank you, Amanda. Um, I think, do you want to pause and just ask questions? Seg 
Yeah, we could just, I figure we'll break it up sure. into easier pieces. Um, so I guess if anyone has any questions um, now on what's been presented so far, and then we'll continue. So Camille? Um, I think I'll wait until the end, after the second part of the presentation. Okay, is there anything specific for Amanda? I don't have anything specific for Amanda. Okay. Um, I have wrote down a question, but it was answered. Okay. Dave? Yeah. Um, I got a couple things, but just in terms of uh, directly to Amanda. First, thank you so much uh, for packaging this all together um, and uh, for this great presentation. Truly appreciate it. One, uh, one question I had, uh, we kind of saw it coming up. Um, it's a trend a lot uh, when talking about like the students. Uh, it's like a you know, lack of trust, lack of support, lack of, of uh, action. Um, in the report, and, and I do want to kind of maybe circle back to this phase three, but in the report, uh, you talk about like there's that perception. And now when you say that, is that, uh, you know, it's the, this is just the perception, but we don't kind of have, have data to back it up, or the perception is that we had uh, studied it and looked into it, and the outcome was that it was just perception. If you could just kind of elaborate on that for me. Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to uh, be very careful about language that we use when presenting these findings. Um, and when saying perception, the perception in and of itself is a finding. And so what we wanted to make sure that we were communicating was not that uh, every single uh, thing that was shared in a focus group, in an interview, in an email, is the uh, absolute truth of what is going on in the district or not going on in the district. Um, stuff. Instead, talking about these are the perceptions that are out there and our recommendations are going to be based on those perceptions and sometimes the recommendation is communicate better about what you're doing because we know that you're doing X, Y, and Z really well and sometimes the recommendation is we haven't seen any kind of evidence that you are doing X, Y, and Z so start doing it um, but wanting to make sure that when we were presenting findings that were, some of the findings that were more based on the qualitative data and on the, uh, what was shared with us in focus groups, in emails, in interviews, that we were being very clear that we take individual perceptions very seriously um, and we think that the district should as well, while also um, making it clear that it came from these qualitative conversations and not necessarily from um, our firm's kind of data analysis of, of what we have seen. Thank you very much for that, that clarification. I appreciate that. Um, and something else too, actually, just um, kind of more, more broadly. Um, one of the things we've been talking within uh, about the disability matrix uh, and uh, talking about like a deeper learning uh, for some of the issues that are going on. Um, you know, and almost immediately, actually, uh, kind of brought back loose when you were talking about the vaping. That you know, the, the number one thing isn't to, to stop you know kids from being disrupted in the bathrooms, but for their own personal health and to, to kind of teach them. Um, and uh, you know, I think that's definitely something that we you know should be striving you know for. I know that uh, you know, unfortunately, last spring you know we had the anti-Semitic uh, incident over at the baseball game. And while we can't kind of talk about some of the consequences that happens, you know, after the findings, 
I would certainly always hope that you know the students that are they're saying those things or engaging in that type of behavior. It's more than just discipline, but it's that deeper learning of all right, this is why that stuff is so horrible and hateful to be saying. Uh, and so I, I, I hope that that's something we kind of continue uh, and uh, uh, you know, really stress that that take the, the forefront. Again, it sounds like that already is, but I just want to. This is, this is a continued work. This is pretty deep work, and we're committed to it. I will say with regard to the discipline matrix, our first step when we had knowledge that this was an area, we knew that we had to kind of come up with how can we create some rules of the game so if folks go to the handbooks tonight, they can see like if this violation occurs, these are, and then we have consistency. So we thought first step, let's just put out so that the perception that nothing is done, if we have a finding, we can't necessarily say that Dave Callahan, let me tell you about what his discipline is, but we can say like when students look at the handbook, if they engage in this, the second part of that is twofold. Um, when we have a situation, and I'll use, um, I'll use bullying as an example, if we have a finding of bullying, we have uh, a, a matrix that I think we will continue to develop and evolve, but the, the intervention piece is what you're speaking to. So um, our goal is to start to build out, like what, is the, what are the interventions that would take place and can we front load those for families and students and teach students and teach families on what that would look like to kind of round off. It's not just discipline, but how do we help someone um, who's engaged in something learn from it in an effective way? So, and then there's also the proactive pieces that we hit on earlier around advisory and things that this all needs to happen in concert. In addition to um, getting, uh, equipping our families with some messaging on, um, on why bullying you know, might be bad, it is bad and how they can help with that. So it's, a, it's a definitely a big, picture, but that's the idea with our discipline matrix and kind of the direction we want to move. Thank you very much. And Amanda, thank you again. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Amanda, for sharing the methodology that you've taken. Um, it's great to see, or at least hear, um, how that you've kind of included many folks from different backgrounds, different areas, just so that they can be in a space that's comfortable to speak to their experience and perception. I think, I think that's one of the things that um, folks may not necessarily do in a general setting. They may feel they want to um, pull back and, and being able to get folks to speak and share their experiences is one way that we can learn and grow and, and just move forward um, and be better as people. Um, I guess I guess my, my questions will be more towards how do we take this body of work and transition into the action plan that we're doing for the district and how, how do we really tie everything together and, and see deliverables? So I think I'll mm -hmm. further further the presentation for the uh, further questions. Uh, but I think this is a great start just to really level set and, and make sure folks are at the right starting point and really create an equitable experience, <laughs> to see the phrase, um, and then move forward from there. So thank you. Dave? So thank you very much, Amanda, for um, both your work with this equity audit as well as uh, for coming here tonight to present it. Uh, just uh, a quick clarifying question. You mentioned with the, the risk ratios, how those are also observed in other communities, not, not unique to Franklin. Um, by that, did you mean that in general, risk ratios are observed, or similar risk ratios to what we're seeing in Franklin are observed? Yes, thanks for that clarification. Um, I meant that these kind of uh, disproportionality um, is observed elsewhere. We see research shows that um, particularly male students 
uh, particularly black and brown male students, um, are at a much higher risk of discipline infractions and um, receiving disciplinary actions than other students. You see that across the country. Um, and so that's not to say that um, it as an excuse or that makes it okay, um, but just to say that this kind of, these kind of challenges are not unique to Franklin um, and there are ways to, to focus on them uh, knowing that there's a lot of research out there that supports um, different ways to, to get at that, uh, those disproportionalities. Thank you very much. And just a quick follow-up to that one. So this is a discipline matrix that you're recommending. Now, have you, or do you have uh, either a model discipline matrix or are you aware of other districts that implemented a similar one to the, um, that you're recommending that maybe we could um, share and take, uh, take some recommendations from? Yes, and so we actually shared um, an example, I think a couple examples with the leadership teams over the summer as we started talking about this. And I know that they've already started doing some really great work. Um, I think that they're going to get into shortly. Um, but yes, absolutely, we have those. Thank you very much. We did ask, we did add the first phase of, if you look in the handbooks now, you'll see the discipline and matrix in our handbooks currently. But certainly it's something we can build off of. But rather than um, cut and paste something in and call it something, we wanted to kind of own that and work through and work with our, bring people along and work with our, um, our community to kind of bring bring that into more of a full development, so thank you. Elise. Hi Amanda, thank you for your work on this. Um, I really like the six buckets that you had there, the leadership, uh, I think I wrote some of them down, climate and culture, student outcomes, HR practices, et cetera. Um, where did those come from? Is that something that's from um, PCG or is that something that comes from a standardized tool or some research? So uh, this is actually one that we developed within PCG based on a lot of, of other research-based frameworks. Um, I'm happy to share, and I believe that we have some citations in the full um, the full equity audit report that we're sharing. Um, but there's a there's a few tools um, that we have used um, that are nationally recognized um, kind of research-based equity tools. And we have uh, taken pieces from a lot of them and kind of developed this framework for ourselves based on a lot of that. Okay, thank you. So are those research-based frameworks and the tools included in the report? The full report, yes. Okay, thanks. Um, and it's so helpful to have a third party talk with members of our school community uh, to gather information and analyze it objectively. Can you give an estimate of the percentage of qualitative data that was collected versus the percentage of quantitative data, just like a rough estimate? Because it seemed like there was a lot of, a lot of perceptions and perspectives um, and some of the, the Desi Dark data, but I wasn't sure about sort of the balance of that. Yeah, so I think that, um, that's a great question. I have that, that's a, that's a first for, for me in uh, these questions. I don't know about the percentage. I think that one of the things that is that you'll see when you look at the full report, because the full report is, I think, 130, 150 slides long. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, quantitative data analysis around achievement and access and uh, things like that. Um, but what often, what in our experience, what often feels the most kind of powerful 
and um, kind of immediately uh, impactful are those qualitative uh, perceptions and experiences of students and members of the community. And so when we're thinking about priority recommendations like the two that I shared today, um, leaning, um, we have the, you know, the qualitative data around the discipline uh, risk ratios and disproportionality, but hearing consistent kind of stories and perceptions from students um, across these, these focus groups and conversations around how they feel um, about bullying, about discipline, about consistency across the district really felt like it was really important to highlight. Um, we have more uh, quantitative analysis in the whole report in terms of, you know, X number of focus groups mentioned the need for training on Y topic. Um, but I would say, I would say close to 50-50 in terms of quantitative and qualitative. It may be more heavily weighted towards qualitative because we do really want to um, put importance on the voices and experiences of folks who are, you know, historically marginalized and whose voices may not have been heard in other situations. Um, so I might weight it a little bit more towards qualitative, um, but we we looked at a lot of quantitative stuff too. I appreciate it, and I, I definitely you know value both. They're both important in their own right, and I think um, it's it's sort of a, a tricky line to walk that you walk because it's like you hear certain perspectives, and that perspective is reality for that student or for that family, and you don't want to discount that because that is something that happened to them. But you also don't want to make an overgeneralization that says every junior in high school has experienced this one situation or heard this thing in the hall, and so um, it's 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 sort of tricky there. Um, so it's trying to look at, I guess, like the, the qualitative to sort of paint some of the details of the pictures, but then the quantitative to, to look at sort of recurring patterns or, or themes. Um, okay, I appreciate that. And oh, one other thing came up. Oh, and I, I do wonder, is there a way to sort of get the best of both worlds in a way. And it, it made me sort of think of a panorama too. Yeah, we'll, right? Phase three, okay. we can talk about how we can continue okay. to gather more quantitative right. data okay. in to addition. Ask similar type of questions, but it's anonymous, and then you get sort of numbers. Right. On this is, okay. yeah. yes, I, I can, we can speak to that. Okay. But thank you, Amanda. Yeah. Megan? Um, I thank you, Amanda, for, for the, your uh, presentation. And yeah, I just had a couple of comments. And yeah, good data is. Very critical, um, you know, to be able to you know, process that, make decisions, and um, helps with you know determining if something is a problem or a symptom of a problem. You know, just kind of getting to the to the root of that. And as as far as like you know, uh, sort of like you know inappropriate you know student actions or, or comments. Um, you know, it's important for them to know you know why something's inappropriate, not just that it is. Right, so it's a list of things they, that they avoid or avoid getting, you know, uh, caught doing, but just understanding how it uh, impacts others. All right, so we got. Um, Mr. Jacob, if you want to continue. Sure. Thank you, Amanda. So just to set context for the next piece, what we've done is we've taken those 106 slides and put together a presentation that represents all the elements so that we had something we could work off of, we can share with you, share with our community, and um, kind of move forward. To set some context, uh, each community across the state 
is engaging in this work and everyone's trying to find their own entry point. I know I spoke with some of my colleagues. Some of them are conducting equity audits now or they're scheduling. Uh, we did ours. So this equity audit took place uh, in the spring um, with the number of uh, folks that were included either in focus groups and emails. So that snapshot, um, you know, things have occurred since then, um, but certainly would want to point out that our entry point is we have an audit, we're sharing the findings now, and it's one piece of a, of a big puzzle, right? So to just uh, echo what I heard mentioned is the elevated voice of folks who were interviewed may be a problem or a symptom of a larger problem, but certainly as a district, our standpoint is we now owe it to our school community to dig deeper. And you'll hear about some of the steps we'll take to try to do that, but an audit is one piece. And I would want to emphasize that just because we, we now, like the work starts now for us on how do we continue to work and it feels like sharing this information now with folks gets us on the same page with what's, what came out of the audit. We also are um, right at the bottom of this slide, you'll see we will hear about the strengths they found, we'll hear about the findings, the recommendations they have, and then we put a slide after it that, well, we, we built out these slides, but the second slide of each of those topic areas that Elise talked about, the, the, the buckets. Yep, the buckets. Um, our progress to date that we want to report out on and then what we see as future actions. So um, once again, this is part of a, a, a larger framework and we're in year zero. We've used that term because we're really trying to figure out our next steps and how do we engage our community and bring people along. And this certainly isn't about calling people out, but calling people in. And that's how we see it, and that's how we're going to frame this. So moving forward. So I would like to start. Um, I'm going to start with the leadership policies and practices bucket, um, as we call it. Um, so some of the strengths that came out of this um, is that there was an overwhelming, unified, and strong desire from all district staff um, to improve the equity-related equity work. Everyone had this strong desire to do it, and we're really responding to the, the suggestions and changes um, that are being offered to us, and we really want to make those changes. This is important work, um, and we want to make sure we do it, and we do it well. Um, the other strength that came out of this is also that um, we have already started to create safe spaces for our students spaces where they can, we can hear their voice and we can listen to their voices and, and take action. Um, as Amanda mentioned earlier, some of the findings that came out of um, this um, category is that you know, there's, there's concerns about a lack of communication regarding the bullying and harassment incidents that happen. You know, parents and students are, and community members are really feeling like they don't know what happens. What are the consequences that, are, that come out of the investigations? And again, as, as Amanda mentioned, you know, the lack of consistency um, amongst different groups and in, inequitable discipline practices. Um, and then our staff are really voicing that they're really um, not sure how to handle those bias-based behaviors when they initially happen. You know, they, they understand that the districts take steps, we communicate, we, we investigate, but it's really when they hear them in the moment, they're, they're not sure what to do. So some of the recommendations that came out of this is really we need to, the district needs to make decisions on policies and practices and procedures with an equity lens. We really need to look at everything through that equity lens and make sure that um, we are making informed decisions. That we really need to embed our equity work in our uh, professional learning communities 
and sharing equity-focused PD opportunities with our staff as well as parents and stakeholders. And they really would like us, and again, getting to that communication piece, is really design a protocol for communicating outcomes to students and families after incidents um, and investigations occur, and really communicating. This is what we heard, this is how we understood it, this is what we're doing next, and this is what unfortunately we cannot share with you and why. And really focusing on that. So we'd like to now talk to you about what we've been doing, right? We didn't start, you know, as Lucas said, we're, we're at year zero, but we have been doing some work along the way. We're at zero in regards to our equity plan, but we've been doing some work over the years because that's, we feel it's so important. So as you heard through our um, different community, uh, sorry, school committee presentations and our handbook presentations, we really looked at our bullying, harassment, and discrimination in Title IX process and procedures and our policies, and we, we um, revised those. We've already done a two-part civil rights bullying harassment training for our administrators in regards to investigating and Title IX. Yes, thank you, Lucas. Um, as we've shared a few times this evening, we've, we've you know, looked at our discipline matrix, we've added that to the handbook so there's a better understanding for both students and families of what consequences and what um, responses we'll have when a disciplinary infraction occurs. Um, we, as we spoke of earlier, we've done our equity training, leadership training with Marco Chardon from Novak Associates. Um, we've established our DEI vision and goals through our DEI committee. And of course, we're so excited to have hired um, Heidi as our DEI coordinator. So what's our next steps? You know, Al Charles has asked us, what, what are we doing next? So we're gonna continue to work on our belonging and social identity training with both our staff and students. Um, Lucas, Tina, Heidi and I are, are um, participating in a um, ready, Massachusetts ready training from the Massachusetts Association, Association of School Superintendents, ready standing for racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. And we're gonna use our work and our learning um, from those uh, workshops um, to guide our work for the district. We will also um, continue our planning with equity by design for universal design for learning to making sure all our students have access to all um, opportunities within the classroom and school settings. And then as we, can, we talked about, continue to develop out that discipline matrix. Look at the samples that PCG provided to us and also work with our administrative team to, to continue to develop those. Okay, so moving into our next bucket, curriculum instruction and professional learning. Uh, PCG highlighted some really great strengths here. Uh, in Franklin, the first being that Franklin has provided opportunities for real intentional discourse in the classrooms. Um, they really elevated the idea of there is more student discourse than, and than ever in STEM classrooms specifically, which was a really significant strength. Um, the idea that the district has long-term goals of infusing the DEI lens into each unit of study, this kind of speaks to the curriculum work that we talk to so often around professional development days, professional learning, and really having a critical and keen eye, to keen eye towards our curriculum development and the resources that we're bringing in to support the various curriculum uh, needs. Uh, they also identified that there's been a focus on diversification of textbooks um, and books in libraries, and though you know that is definitely a strength, we recognize that there's more work to do, that this is an ongoing cyclical process that is embedded in our curriculum review. And then uh, the last strength there being the learning for justice resources have been extremely helpful. 
um, and learning how to interrupt microaggressions and bias-based behaviors. And so you'll see kind of, as we move to the next slide, some of the continuation of that work, but those are some strengths related to curriculum instruction professional learning that came out of the audit. And then the two findings that came from, from the realm of curriculum instruction and professional learning, the first being that there is a lack of inclusive curriculum practices, and that there is a real desire to improve and increase learning around DEI work, which I think is a really great finding in itself. So the first recommendation you see there speaks <coughs> specifically to the first finding, where they're, they're recommending um, a creation of a standards equity-based process for curriculum development and delivery. And this speaks to our role in our, the Office of Teaching and Learning and really trying to flush out our curriculum revision process and cycle and really trying to put that process and procedure down on paper. Um, so that's some of the work ahead of us this year. And then the next three recommendations speak to the real desire to continue the, the learning um, within our FPS community related to um, learning foundations of around equity. What is equity? You've heard that. Like we say it, what do we mean when we say it? Around L how to support LGBTQIA plus students and, and create a more inclusive and anti-bullying um, um, school community. And then the last being more training around culturally responsive leadership and, and teaching. So the second piece to this is to update the progress to date and then the future work that we're looking towards. So on the left, you'll see there some of, some of the things Paula alluded to. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a through line between all of this work, it, even in the various buckets that we're calling them. So particularly here we have, um, we brought Mirko Chardon in to focus on universal design for learning. We're also talking about universal design for learning in our QD days. We're also talking about that in our faculty meetings, in our department meetings, in our half profession, you know, so there's some through lines here. Um, we have implemented with uh, the support of ArcSed a, uh, our mandated non-discrimination and harassment trainings are all now digital and online and more accessible. Um, continuing to focus on belonging and identity in our professional learning and lyrics we'll be excited to give you kind of an update after our full professional development day and the work that we do there. Uh, our partnership with the Anti-Defamation League. And then as it connects to the first finding related to curriculum, really building out our curriculum revision process through this, the literacy audit and the, the literacy pre-K-12 literacy curriculum review work that's underway. Um, and then you can see on the next portion there, the future actions um, and really trying to expand. We have some really great work that's happening with World of Difference leaders and curriculum and how do we expand that. Um, so we're going to be looking to do that work in the future. Again, continuing on this, the realm of identity and belongings, professional learning, um, and including more of that. Uh, our partnership with Mirko Chardon and Equity by Design where you'll hear about some more opportunities to engage families and opportunities to learn alongside of us and dig into to this work with us, alongside of us, um, and really being able to provide a space that we're listening to various stakeholders in an authentic way. Um, and I, again, I think you'll hear the through line in that in the, in the upcoming slides. Okay, so I have the climate, Sure. I have the climate and culture bucket, and um, there are a lot of through lines. It may sound repetitive, but they live in multiple places. Um, 
some of the strengths that PCG highlighted for under culture and climate is that there's a shared desire to move the equity work forward in its entirety, um, and that there's a deep sense of pride in Franklin. Uh, they also noted that they, they also noted a strength is that um, Franklin Public Schools is providing space for students to understand topics of equity while shining light on the need for equity district-wide. Um, students noted some positive actions in schools such as the ADL World of Difference um, saga, the um, Gender Awareness Club, and others. Um, there's a focus on student wellness and allowing students the opportunity for self-expression. And they uh, also thought that the DEI, the work product of the DEI was very strong and, and a strength. Um, some of the other findings were that um, bullying is perceived as a pervasive problem, that there was a lack of action um, when bullying and discrimination incidents occurred. Um, there was a perceived lack of support for LGBTQ plus students um, and preferential treatment for athletes or popular students, as was mentioned before. Um, mixed views about trust and, and you know, communication um, between staff and students, and there were some barriers between family engagement and the school communities. Um, their recommendations were that we do more um, family engagement um, activities and put more family engagement supports in place, um, do more development around trust and communication, and um, more student, or engage in student family and community learning and training around opportunities, as Tina said, around um, the foundations of equity. So, progress to date. Um, we have gender neutral language practices, advisories at, at the secondary, middle, and high. Um, we have um, an active DEI committee and um, a monthly DEI newsletter that comes up, that it comes out from me to the, um, the principals so that they can share and be current with what's happening within the community and share that within the school communities. Um, and we have a diversity calendar, and um, we have upcoming community listen, listening sessions. Future focus, uh, I'm sorry, future focus, future actions, so it is a future focus, is you know continuing with this listening tour, um, really making um, ourselves available to hearing all the voices within the Franklin community. Um, hosting virtual community coffees for families um, by uh, school compounds or school School campuses. There we go. Um, revising or, or building a, a DEI webpage, um, a living library. Uh, and I, Lucas, I don't know if you want to just talk a little bit about that after I finish, or do you want sure, to? Sure, sure. Okay. Talk okay. Um, the, uh, well, I, we have the newsletter already coming out. Um, we talked about uh, developing for the, hopefully for the end of this school year is um, establishing a back to school community welcome center service so that the, um, the back to school information is actually taken to the community where families, especially our L communities, may have difficulty accessing all of the information they need before they, uh, the beginning of the school year. Um, we also talked for our future actions is expanding student clubs 
and support groups and the creation of restored practices um, to support students and families when bias incidents occur. So the other bucket is student outcomes and access. And the strengths there were, um, there were current support efforts underway such as Best Buddies, the Diversity Awareness Club, ADL Peer Leaders, the Unified Sports, and the Bridges slash Resource Group. Um, the findings were that there were um, supports needed for gifted students. There were inequitable resource distribution, inequitable access to after school and extracurricular activities, and MCAS, MCAS proficiency gaps for students with disability, L students, economically disadvantaged students, and black African American, Hispanic and Latinx students. And the recommendations were to um, expand access to extracurricular activities, develop some kind of uh, equity student data reporting or reports, provide professional learning for, on implicit bias for school counselors and department leaders, and adopt an equity-based resource um, process for resource distribution decision making. And progress to date is that uh, we've uh, reinstated the after-school transportation. There are advisory programs at the middle and high uh, the middle and high school, and we are aligning this alignment aligned level. Um, I'm sorry, aligned level-based school improvement plans focusing on MTSS and future actions. Um, we're talking about, again, just developing those restorative practices um, so that we can support students and families, um, all families when something happens, um, expand student clubs and support groups, and um, have constant conversations and you know, um, workshops for students around belonging and identity to build an inclusive community. So just an example of um, a snapshot in time, if you think back, we weren't able to run late buses last year. So we had a, a population of students who couldn't stay after for a club or activity if they couldn't get a ride home. So since then, we've been able to, to allow, uh, bring back our late buses. So just an example, I think, when you were hitting on that. The other piece is the idea of a living library is really a human library. Um, it's certainly a, a big endeavor to organize, but it's, there's, a, there's an, a professional organization that uh, provides guidance on this. But basically, rather than lending out books, you work with people. And you can, uh, in order to understand each other, we talked about belonging. Remember that definition that was on the slides? It was when we know more about each other, um, we can understand each other better. And are there opportunities um, that are just like a library? You um, go and you want to know more about um, someone, um, some, about their religion, about their life, uh, some specific area or characteristic. Um, it's an opportunity to take, instead of taking a book out, you take a human out and you ask some questions. So it's not a new concept, but um, we did talk about that um, a little bit. We also talked about that when uh, we had the opportunity to meet with the, chance, the new chancellor from Dean College. And uh, that idea, we floated across the table. So there was some interest there as well. So maybe expanding that idea within the community. So <clears throat> moving on, so human resources. So we had some strengths that we basically have taken steps to 
make sure that we are you know, using an equity lens when we hire, but certainly in our descriptions, um, we ask questions when we think about what we ask. Typically, uh, a teacher, um, a director, a principal, there'll be some specific question around diversity, equity, inclusion. What does that mean? What does that look like in that specific role? Or, or um, how would they uh, apply that lens as they continue their work? When we look at training for admin, uh, training was conducted last year with regard to screening practices to just make sure that we were um, um, using consistent practices across all of our 10. We have 10 schools, we have 10 principals, and you know, we have central office administration. Many people um, are putting eyes on applicants and candidates, and are we consistently looking for the qualities that we expect? So depending on the role, we want to look at work experience, and we had a training that helped us with that. And we have systems to record demographic data, which they had noted as strengths. When we think about findings, um, really the, the piece that came out from the audit that took place last spring was around how do we, uh, there's gaps in representation. I think if I had summarized the findings in, in one sentence, it would be how do we put more adults in front of kids that look like them in, in the right way. And, and uh, we maintain that you know we have a people have a, there's a desire uh, within our um, within our system to find highly qualified adults um, and really try to look for ways we can we can make that happen. Um, the recommendations basically looking at all of our job descriptions. So if we've had a posting in the last two years, uh, we've been sure to refresh those. But there are some jobs we haven't posted necessarily for, so how do we continue that work would be, you know, as we post things, we certainly look at that with a fresh eye, but just making sure that we, we continue to look at those job expectations. And um, they've, they recommended setting some measurable value aligned goals around uh, workforce diversity and um, use strategies to uh, use data to guide the work around, around recruitment and tracking demographic data. So our progress today, I, one piece I would speak to is, you know, you heard about our aligned level-based school improvement plans, uh, where really this just highlights our consistency that we're uh, aiming for across. So when we look to hire adults that will work with our students, trying to have some aligned expectations for what those jobs are, so we have consistency by level and, and what the person would be doing and how they'd be doing it. And that helps us to have consistency when we evaluate people's criteria and whether they're qualified for a position or not. Um, the uh, future actions, um, we are rejoining the Mass Partnership for Diversity in Education, um, which provides training and support. Um, we will continue with the implicit bias training for all of our staff um, who are involved with any kind of hiring or evaluating. And then uh, we would look to uh, build upon the training that I referenced earlier as we go as we move forward. So, next steps. Just to point out where we are. So, fall 2022. We talked about we sh we're sharing tonight information. Um, I would emphasize this is a presentation on DEI as a holistic idea and trying to talk through. We also referenced the, the, the findings from the audit. And then we really need to now prioritize steps. We need to think about, well, we've been given some priorities from the company, but how do we now look at um, not only implementing the recommendations that they put forward, the, the two that they have, but spend time now with our own work and try to dive deeper. 
Um, someone asked about Panorama, like surveying our students, our families, and our staff to build out a complete picture, um, the points around the audit and, and elevating voices from the focus groups and whatnot is, um, is a piece of that puzzle. But there's other pieces we need to now gain so that we can make informed decisions about um, the steps that we take and what needs to be prioritized. And this is a, a work that takes place over time. So my, my message to everyone in our community is this is, takes time. There are people on uh, both sides of this um, issue, and unfortunately this type of work has become somewhat politicized, but if I could just share just the, the human being in me, we're really trying to focus on our bar is at trying to create spaces where kids can walk in and feel welcomed and belong and not have negative experiences that lead to some kind of pain. And I think that's really where we're at with this, is really trying to start there. And if we're gonna do this well, no matter where you fall on your uh, opinions of this, it's really about um, setting expectations to move slow and move together. And I think that's the commitment that, that I wanted to share and I know we share as a team, is really trying to look at this and gather more information and dig deeper and engage with our community and hear the, the varying perspectives because that is what this work is. So um, I would end with that and let you know that at the end of the year, our goal is to come back and report out, we've done a deeper dive, I probably will hearken back to, you may remember the audit listed a few findings that were um, uh, uh, available to us. We've, we've, we've dug a little deeper and here's where we've landed and these are the goals that we will prioritize for the next school year and then we're not gonna do all 56 goals or recommendations in, in a year. That's not the intention, and that's not the intention from the um, from PCG at, uh, at all. Um, but we need to move with our community. We need to move with our staff and our our students. So I'll stop there and open it up for questions. Okay. So on behalf of the school committee, thank you for this very thoughtful and thorough presentation. We know so much has gone into this at all levels. So please extend our gratitude to everyone who has been involved for all that has been done for our students and for the entire district. Um, being mindful of the time, if we could go through and um, if any questions, Kim? I, um, I have one question. If you could expand on the finding of lack of inclusive curriculum practices. So, so what was identified in this particular finding is, um, and I'll just specifically read some of these particular ones from their full report. There's a lack of exploration of multiple religions and cultures. There's no formal teacher inclusive process for choosing curriculum. The curriculum does not include current ideas about gender and diversity. The curriculum and curriculum support is needed for students in the ESL population. Right, so those were the sub-bullets within that finding, so. And my, my only other, um, I'd like to take a minute to just state how important this work is, and I appreciate that um, your presentation showed the diversity of DEI, because as uh, Lucas said, sometimes it gets politicized, and it's a very narrow and incorrect um, definition of DEI. Um, 
I myself can't really understand the pushback against DEI. Um, when I look at Chapter 5, Section 2 of the Massachusetts Constitution, which is the oldest still functioning written constitution in the world, um, one of the objectives is about education is to countenance and inculcate the principles of humanity and general benevolence, public and private charity, industry, frugality, honesty, punctuality, sincerity, good humor, and all social affections, generous sentiments among the people. And that's, to me, cherishing our citizens, cherishing our children, and cherishing the staff that teach them. Um, when I try to be empathetic and compassionate and think about why people might object to this kind of work, I think possibly they see the world in a zero-sum game. That if somebody else is receiving attention or uplift, that that means they get less. And that's just not the way it works. I mean, it's, it's your heart just expands for more. Um, we also do a disservice to our students by not ensuring diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, first of all, children cannot learn. They cannot physically learn if they feel traumatized, if they feel they don't belong, if they feel threatened, if they feel unsafe in the classroom. I mean, there's an old thing we have teachers always hear when you first start. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, students also learn best when they feel connected to their world. And pretending these issues of, of class, race, culture, religion, gender, sexual orientation don't exist for these students is ignorant. They are interacting with these issues every day in their lives, online, in their um, friend groups, and um, they feel a yearning to discuss it in class, to encounter it in class, to encounter it with um, teachers who are prepared and professional and comfortable doing that. So I appreciate your focus on, um, and the staff's recognition that they need professional development to feel comfortable. It is uncomfortable to discuss these things in class, but with more practice and with training, it becomes much more comfortable. Students also, um, if we don't allow them these conversations and we don't pay attention to um, how we're treating all of the members of our community, then students won't be prepared for the workforce. They're gonna work in a diverse workforce. They're gonna live in a diverse world. And um, a study I looked up, 96% of companies uh, think that diversity and the ability to work with a diverse group of people is important. So if we care about workforce ability, then we have to prepare our kids for encountering difficult or uncomfortable situations, having um, critical thinking skills to navigate their ways through them, and treating other people's like, people like humans. If, I suppose that the visibility of marginalized groups, if they were formally invisible, then any sort of uplift, any sort of extra effort to educate about them or to honor them may seem like promotion of one particular view or promotion of something that is just a um, grotesque and poisonous distortion of what 
DEI is, then I suppose that might seem threatening to some people. But there's plenty of space. And finally, the reason why we do this is because the world we're living in is so contentious and so fraught with discord and frankly frightening sometimes the way the othering happens. Genocides happen because other people's humanity is discounted and taken away. You, you can commit crimes against others. So if we don't do this work and give them practice now, and we don't honor and cherish every student who walks through our doors, then we are doing a disservice to the future of this planet. That's it. Dave Callahan. Yes, I got, well, one, um, thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, and I want to open just, you know, by saying, uh, I appreciate that we're, we're walking the walk here. You know, as, as I'm watching the Zoom feed down below, see a lot of captioning that's happening as, as we're having this conversation. Um, and so, you know, right you know, then and there, you know, for individuals, uh, deaf and hard of hearing community, that they're still able to, to, to be included and to be a part of this conversation. Um, you know, Lucas, when you kick things off, talking about the root uh, of it all, that it's, it's belonging, is, you know, I thought it was, was fantastic to, to hear, um, you know, and then when you kind of showed, you know, some of the pictures, and we saw like the unified basketball team, and you know, when you talk about, I mean, that's a literal gold standard uh, for for belonging, and you know, this is you know just one of the many reasons as to why we're doing this. And it's it's uh, it was a fantastic start. I was going to say to to see you know everyone, you know, uh, so many members up here at the desk. Um, you know, as Amanda had mentioned, this isn't just one person's uh, work. Uh, this is a collective body of work that's uh, you know being shouldered by by so many members of the community, and you know just in, in terms of you know kind of walking the walk too. I know we've, we've talked about this in the past, uh, but I'd really be remiss not to to throw my support uh, for as we kind of build next year's school calendar for uh, have introducing the walling as a school day off. Um, uh, so I just want to. Um, I do have, I have a couple of questions. Maybe I'll just kind of throw one out uh, right now. That's all right. Um, we talk about an equitable resource distribution. Uh, you know, I know we see uh, one, um, you know, we kind of see that already being done with the strategic initiatives, really how it's a flat. It, was, it wasn't just, you know, multiple elementary schools uh, that each had their own initiatives that they were in you know, uh, light, guiding lights, but this is just one flat across the board. This is what everybody is looking for, which is great. Um, can we expect to, to kind of see these philosophies and ideas as we're moving forward with redistricting efforts? So my quick answer will be yes. Um, there's a process that will unfold that will bring our community through um, along the way, but one thing that the company that we're working with um, is interested in is context. And it's not a math problem. If it was a math problem, we wouldn't need to bring anybody together. We could just crunch some numbers and draw some lines and, and whatnot. But uh, context matters. And I think they're looking, I know that they've requested um, information from us that speaks to you know, demographic data um, that would be helpful in this work. And I think our goal is to, 
to look at all of those pieces and what makes the most sense. And when you think about um, where students are heading to school, how are we making sure that we have we build a lens around equity and making sure that it's um, equitable for all? So the answer is yes. And I think your uh, original question that you asked earlier around resources is that's an annual conversation that we need to have every year about where do we need resources for the students we have in front of us, uh, regardless of what school they're at. Um, so that's a continued, it's a great example of what we would do. We would probably continue that work, I know, through our engagement with principals who are strong advocates for their students across the board as we talk through our budget process. And um, resource allocation is a driver, obviously, of budgets. Thank you very much. Appreciate sure. that. Other questions about your everyone? So first of all, thank you for this. This has been great. I think it showed how you put things together, together from PCG to incorporating into our, our, our district plans for, for DNI. Um, I think just the focus on that um, this is not something that's going to be addressed and completed in a year. This is a long-term process, and we're at year zero, which is it's a great approach. Where we're just really just gathering the data now and really looking to see where do we stand in developing our plan. Um, I feel like people think the expectation we start something it should be done and we should get a, a end result quickly, and it, it's not that case. Um, way you frame up is a great way to just kind of make people aware. It, it is a it is a journey. Um, <coughs> a couple things that jumped out of me that were really really great really around that. That's first and foremost critical when it comes to DNI. DNI, I feel like there are a lot of misconceptions, and as people have missing information, that they will just choose to fill in the blanks with whatever will fit in those puzzle pieces. And by being clear and consistent and transparent, will help, um, especially when it comes to disciplinary practices. Um, I think that's where we hear a lot of the, the problems may stem from because. They may not see that action, and, and yes, you said, as we said earlier, we may not say exactly what has happened, but let them know that something has happened and there is action being taken. It goes a lot further than saying nothing, and more people will just assume nothing else has happened. So I think that's a, a great starting point in getting people aligned and understanding there is work being done, and we will give you the information that we can without compromising confidential confidentiality. So it's a great purpose there. Um, the, the focus on bias, um, commend you all for getting a third party consultant to help with that because we all have biases to people. And you cannot identify your own bias without somebody pointing it out to you. Um, I find this myself with my children all the time. My, my wife would say, you're, you're biased to one child versus the other. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're right. That's, it's, I, I understand it. You gotta take a step back. And I feel that the school district does Needs that as well, and it's great. Sending that out. PCG. <laughs> um, PCG is there to help and it really highlight those because you can't necessarily assess yourself all the time. Um, and I feel that with this data, we will be able to do better. So, so one, thank you there. Um, I've seen the equity in the, the curriculum that we're doing already, especially in the math work that we're doing. Um, we're, we're looking at a different lens so that we make sure that all of our learners can grasp those critical math tools versus just creating math as a 
one size fits all. Um, I feel that this will help us increase our test scores. This will get our, our students to appreciate math even further. Um, so in DI, it's, it's bigger than just what people think of with gender, um, ethnicity. I mean, it goes through everything that we do. And if we use DI in all these various lenses, we'll get folks to address and, and really um, not just one level, it's all groups and we'll see how do we care for their needs regardless of are they, uh, they, they, they have needs or are in terms of gaps um, for, for um, proficiency or are they ways that we can love, bring them up even further. Um, the work that we've done with the school lunches is a great way to take away some of the barriers to learning. We're giving free lunch now, and not all students take free lunch. They they may still bring food in, but we're not penalizing or kids are not suffering because they do not have that ability to get that that meal during school and focus on that versus learning. So it, it there's a lot of things from a DEI lens that folks need to be mindful of that um, really will help enhance the school district. And by doing so, once these students leave our district they will be more apt to come back and say, hey, you know, I want to raise my family here because I had that inclusivity. I felt that uh, feeling of belonging, and I want my children to feel that, and we have more of a diverse community. So um, I, I see this as a win-win across the board for not just now, but our future in terms of the growth and really where Franklin goes 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, <coughs> for, for questions, there was mention of a diversity calendar. Um, just hoping can you elaborate a little bit more on that in terms of like what is that and what who does who receives that? Um, I can answer that. We so we are in the process of developing that or building, continuing to build on that. I think that the DEI committee started that last year or the year before, um, and a few of us are continuing to add certain holidays, um, certain celebrations. Um, you know, last, or actually last month, this month, we um, made sure that we highlighted ADHD uh, awareness and, and, and including, really being inclusive of all diversity on the, that calendar. So it's not going out to the families, it's being captured and, and shared monthly to the school principals and they share it within or distribute the information within their school communities. Um, is that something that maybe we can look to include in the just monthly newsletters as well, just to expand the reach of that? To just sure. So the, the calendar, uh, Heidi's talking about, is an educational calendar okay. so that we can educate. So I think that might be uh, a great next step is to just provide information. It's different from the question that came up around the school calendar that Dave brought up, but um, there's a lot of things that happen throughout a month that we, um, the committee, felt were important to highlight and make sure that people had knowledge and education on because you might not realize what other um, what other things are out there. So that, that was the, the good question and good clarifying point. Thank you. Great. Thank you. 
And then there was mention of rejoining the Mass Partnership for Diversity in Education. Um, so the part that jumped out was the rejoining piece, so were we part of that, and why did we? That is a question I can't answer. I don't know um, if it was a matter of kind of a lapse during COVID and the I don't really have a, a story to tell on that one. Um, but I do know that we committed to rejoin, and uh, I can find out more if you'd like. But. So one of the subgroups of the DEI committee focused on the hiring and within that subgroup there were individuals that joined this and it was last year they were part of this work I believe where they joined um, the committee that you're referencing. So I think it's a recommitment to And I can add a little more context. They, um, Franklin Public Schools was a member of this committee many, many moons ago, a few superintendents back. And um, my understanding is it kind of, uh, participation kind of fizzled out, so we no longer participated after a while. Um, and um, I think there was uh, not a feeling of, of value of, what, of outcomes that was coming out of the committee, but we are now rejoining it, and, and because from what I understand, it's restructuring, and my understanding. And it's on a virtual platform. So. Yes. So, so there's more access. Accessible. That was the other piece, too. I think people were coming from all different places. And, so, you know, prior to COVID, we weren't used to doing virtual things. Yeah, so maybe <laughs> the access will be more equitable. So Absolutely. <laughs> exactly, now. It's more equitable access for communities. Um, so great. No, so thank you. Appreciate this work. Um, looking forward to see where things come. But once again, it's, it's not something that come December is going to be done, and we're going to be here, this is all the, the solutions. It's, it's, this is year zero. We'll see what where we go from from here and, and how we build on this. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Dave. Uh, thank you all for uh, being here for this presentation. And uh, yeah, thank you for taking this work seriously. Uh, it's so important that you know, we're doing this and that we really have the groundwork laid here um, to go forward. And diversity is our greatest strength as a nation. And we're all better off when diversity is valued, better decisions are made, and, and we all are you know, better individuals and better as a community too when we value that, so thank you. Um, couple, just a uh, couple questions. Mentioned communication, how we're gonna be um, really both, both with the campaigns as well as um, community outreach over the next you know, few months and years in regards to this. Have we already started to hear um, recommendations on how we could have more inclusive practices from families? So we are going to be engaging families on November 19th. We're gonna have an opportunity for families to come together to engage in this work. Uh, the presentation will be available, obviously, for people to reference, and um, that will be an opportunity. As I mentioned also, we shared the um, audit, the findings, the recommendations today, but the reality is, is we wanna to continue to learn and kind of figure out what you know, we heard some perceptions, for example. How do we um, drill a little deeper and try to understand what, um, what the, how do we quantify some of that or try to find um, themes that might emerge through that. But I think the engaging in the community, engaging with our staff in a productive way and bringing, bringing them along and giving them the tools they need. Um, as you saw, there was a desire to, to do this work. And I can, I can think of the speak up at school training, the feedback I received when we did that, which was basically how to how to kind of interrupt a microaggression, for example, um, that may occur. Um, that was a, a positive um, experience for many of the folks that I spoke to at that time. And you know, we we see this as work continuing, and you know, 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah thank you. And um, then another question in regards to um, curriculum and where we're viewing that. Um, what, what achievement gaps are we observing um, among different, um, of the different demographic subgroups that they've mentioned? I know I've read through and uh, the, um, the report mentions MCAS scores, particularly the satellite, but are we, are we observing other achievement gaps as well? So what I would say is that we are in the trenches of analyzing the most recent MCAS results that just came out and we have a presentation coming next school committee meeting. So I think I'd be more well equipped to answer that question at that point. What I will say is that um, there, are, there are some trends across the Commonwealth um, that we are seeing mirrored in Franklin, um, particularly like I would highlight writing. Um, across the Commonwealth. I, I think, um, uh, I don't want to quote the statistics, but I'll probably wait till next meeting, but we do mirror that, you know, our trend in writing has, has declined over time. Um, but I think I can probably speak more to that at our next school committee meeting um, with the MCAS data in front of us. And I think once we have the panorama platform up and running, we'll be able to also kind of track the other data points other than MCAPs to yep. see if we find any trends. And I think that that's our plan once we get that up and running. Excellent, thank you. Elise? So I was so excited for this equity audit for many, many months. And um, expected to get it last spring, and then expected to get it last summer, and then expected to get it earlier. And I feel like in a way, it, it definitely sheds some light on a few things, but I don't know if any of this is something the district didn't already know. And so, I guess I'm wondering how much we paid for it, Marion? Just ballpark, I guess. Sorry to put you on the uh, Ballpark, 45, 50 grand. I, I'm not even, I, I don't even think it was that high. I, I honestly don't have a ballpark. I'll look it up while you're talking. Right, yes, you will. I know, I'm sure they'll get up that quickly. Um, so I think, I think my expectations were so high, and then um, I think the lack of a standardized tool, some of the lack of, in my personal opinion, organization and sort of like synthesis of it and sort of the way it was packaged, I feel like um, left a lot to be desired. And so I really, I'm really grateful that you guys went through and did this because I think this was easy to read through and it made a lot of sense sort of to um, consolidate things and put things in an orderly fashion. And I, I thank you for that and I'm also sort of disappointed because I feel like that shouldn't be the district's job if we're paying an outside provider to be doing this work. It should have been done by the outside provider. But all that said, um, I, I think that it's a good, as you said in your last, bullet here, it's good baseline data. Um, it's sort of like a moment in time, this is data, this is evidence. You know, a lot of it I think is from, Betsy is from DART, like we could get this information if we needed to. But it's nice that I think it's all in one place, this is something that can be referred to in the future. This will definitely show growth in the future or be a, a, a yardstick, I guess, to measure progress or regression in any way. Um, but I think overall the, the, the deliverable, I was a little bit, um, 
I wish it was a little bit more robust. However, thank you for giving this sort of like piggyback presentation that really puts things in perspective. Um, and I agree with my colleagues that the work is extremely important, and I think that's why I was so excited about it. But I will, I did look at the, I did read it, and I'm gonna look through again to look at the tools and the research that she um, mentioned, because that's really important um, to me, just as far as like sort of the fidelity of the process. Um, but thank you for putting this part together for us. Maybe? <clears throat> Um, so yeah, thank you for the presentation. And I just, I just really want to uh, go uh, Camille's eloquent comments, um, um, quoting of the uh, Massachusetts Constitution. Thank you for that. And I'll also, yeah, you know, this work is—it's not a zero-sum thing. And another analogy I like to use—it's not a pie, right? You know, people get uh, you know pieces of this pie and. You know, it means someone else gets a smaller piece or something like that. That's that's not the the case at all here. You know, we're we're all um, you know humans uh, learning, interacting with uh, one another, and you know we, we need to develop an understanding of, of what you know each of us needs. We're not all um, the same, you know, in every single way. So some of us, you know, need a little extra, um, and you know, some of us are like you know. <coughs> anyway, so just you know, just getting a good understanding of it, yeah, all that, and I'll just kind of just mention something out too, like because I know like so there's a little bit of politicization to this. Um, you know, when, when I mentioned to people like, oh, you know, we bought a DI, uh, uh, you know, member for for the for the school and stuff. There, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of an eye roll, or sometimes like, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about. This is. And it, it, it's elevating everybody, elevating every student. Uh, every, we all benefit from this. This is a win-win, and um, uh, I'm really happy that we uh, you know, have this. And thank you so much for the presentation. And, uh, Lucas, I do, I do have a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, the Living Library um, is like involved in that. Like, so is it doing so staff? We, we uh, yeah. remember. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off from another question. Um, so we we listed it as a future action because there's a lot of work that would go into coordinating something like that. But I tried to explain that concept, and there's a framework folks can Google it right now and find um, a quick overview of what that entails. But basically, um, you you find folks that want to be basically um, a library book, a human human version, and offer uh, opportunities, and, and people can come and check out. A person and kind of talk and, and talk about their experience. It could be a Vietnam veteran, and you want to hear more about the war from their perspective. And you sit and talk and you listen to what that was like for that person. It could be someone who's disabled who has you have questions about their experience. It could be a person of color because um, you're trying to learn more about their. It could be a religion that you know. Tell me how you celebrate. I know um, I have friends who are of dis different religions, and I'm comfortable to ask them, but I also have access to people. So I might ask someone who's Jewish about their religions and what do each of the holidays mean to them. And I gain, and I feel comfortable to do that, and I gain an understanding, and that's the best way I can probably learn that rather than a book, is tell me more about that. And um, the idea here is if we create opportunities like that where people can sit and talk to someone 
who um, has an experience something I think we we could all uh, gain from that and like I said this is not a concept I've certainly uh, developed or thought of but I'm really interested in this idea and I think it could be really powerful when we think about how we work within our community and create learning but the trick is going to be how do you set something up that people come to and be a part of and how do you organize that in a way so um, that was that's part of the work so well, uh, I'd love to help out with that somehow. Great. Be happy to. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah that, that would be great. I, I was going to have my dad come as a Vietnam vet, but he swears a lot, and I didn't want him, <laughs> I didn't want him to talk to kids, quite frank, uh, with that with his mouth. So, anyway, um, I get the idea. I'll hang out with him. There we go. <laughs> um, Ms. Goodman, I believe you had a follow up uh, uh, yeah, so I misspoke earlier. The contract that was signed in December of 21 for this work was for $24,950. Oh, thank you for following up. So $25,000 is very different from the initial estimate. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Mr. Jagir, I know you and I have spoken previously about providing families with some kind of cheat sheet for all the acronyms we use. Yes. Where are we on that? So we are, we thought we would do an EduSpeak. Um, mini presentation, not a full three-hour presentation, but maybe uh, provide a cheat sheet with the acronyms or all the things that what we mean when we say, um, and maybe just use that as like the anchor, and then have that posted and shared for folks. So um, we are—I don't have it done. Oh, I will. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure yes. that we're working on. Sure, it. sure, absolutely. Thank you. We could we could put something together, turn it around. So and just to make sure folks, if anybody didn't catch it, Mr. McGear talked about the library. One thing that I, I appreciated that you had said was it's about the person's perspective. It's not that they're representative of that group because you could be a Vietnam veteran and your experience could be gladly different from others. Yeah. It's just to give you a glimpse of what one person is experiencing. I think that's, that's one thing we all need to think of when we speak to people of different backgrounds or different or different areas of interest, they're speaking to what their perspective is, and it's not necessarily representative of everybody. It's, it's how they kind of what they saw and, and how their interactions kind of pulled, um, character or framed up their, their experiences. Just great, 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 great way to kind of frame it up. Mr. Callahan, that's something else? From many to you, thanks. Um, so I just have a, also a question. So we already, you know, we've had the DEI committee who's, you know, really been able to produce a great body of work. Now uh, with the DEI director, how does that, how does that change the DEI committee? Would we expect there, you know, would, would more of, uh, you know, the director kind of take over some more of their work, kind of shrink the committee scope and scale? Can I start and then yeah, you can yeah, chime in? Sure. I don't want to over answer here, um, but we are advantaged where we had a DEI committee, we are continuing with that work. A lot of great work happens with that DEI committee. One thing that we, by having a director, it's to me the magic's in the in-between work. So now in-between meetings, you have someone who's dedicated to moving this work along and pre preparing and following up and carrying out something that came from a group that led, and I think when um, Dr. Ahern led that work. Uh, I watched her work tremendously hard to do her superintendent job and be a DEI 
director uh, at the same time and leading that work, and um, it, it's not lost on me. So the fact is that we have someone who can really work and drill down on this in, in um, more the in-between work. And it's, it's great segue when you were all ready to talk about the plan, which really outlines Heidi's work and goals for the year that um, kind of the, um, they complement the presentation that we provided. Do you want to add anything? I, I'll just add that we, the DEI committee is essential to the work because it, rep, it represents um, a group of stakeholders. And the work shouldn't be done just at a central office level or you know, school-based level. It does need to have a balance. So in addition to what we shared this Thank you very much. Are you all set? Um, moving on to the next presentation, the 2022-2023 DEI pool. Okay, so we can call that up. In your packet, you will find a DEI plan, which uh, basically has the same cover. I won't use my Emmett Smith Nike <laughs> joke, overuse that one, but certainly um, all of this information is the same as you've seen on the district and the school-based plan. When we get into the goal areas, I would highlight, Heidi, I want you to help um, help me kind of if they have questions or add some clarity, but yeah. basically, if you look at 5A, 5B, and 5C, those are the three main goal areas. And Heidi, do you want to just give an overview of what those main goal areas are? Sure, so um, there are three primary goal areas, which is 5A, to develop an equity action plan that meets the needs of all learners. Okay. Uh, should I keep going or okay. And 5B, which is to strengthen level-based supports for students, staff, and um, site leaders, administrators. And C is the family engagement and community partnerships with DEI efforts. So, do you want? Sure, I think that, that was a good overview. Maybe we could just talk through just the um, some of the action steps you plan to take. Okay, to sure, sure. Um, for 5A, in terms of the uh, equity action plan, uh, we basically the action step is to kind of uh, take the information, uh, communicate recommendations um, from the equity audit, um, but it's also a constant, you know, going back and communi uh, communicating updates. This work is According to Ready, Mass Ready, it's a, a five to eight year process. Um, beginning the priority uh, recommendations, the district, um, the discipline matrix, and the um, the awareness campaign. Um, hopefully, within the next few months, and then providing opportunities for um, feedback and uh, input from the community members. Um, B, 5B, strengthen level-based supports for students, staff, and leaders. Um, I think our goal areas are, or actually, I won't go into the, the sub-goals, but I'll just stick with the action steps. Um, to utilize the mass-ready equity, diversity, um, racial equity, diversity, and inclusion framework to understand our point of entry, to connect with belonging and identity, um, to um, basically facilitate student groups at the high school, 
the, um, the middle schools and explore ways to expand the elementary level mentoring program, co-lead the ADL World of Difference with staff advisors to facilitate a learning series to support middle and high school ADL leaders, create opportunities for the ADL leaders um, to mentor and teach other students, and uh, partner with um, DESE's Safe School Program to provide um, staff with professional learning focus on um, providing an inclusive and safe environment for all students, um, specifically our LGBTQ plus students. Um, and I think the last area would be to continue to support staff with professional learning opportunities and develop a district-wide equity toolkit to serve as a resource for staff. And by that, I mean just having um, a range of uh, resources, tools, and supports available to all um, staff and faculty members. And it would be, um, it would live, like I said, on a virtual platform that we could continuously update, um, build, and, and share with our, our, our professional community. Same thing with, uh, with, we were talking about having a similar platform for parents, and I'll just go into that really quickly. 5C, the family engagement and community partnerships. Again, having that platform, hosting a series of meetings to just kind of have informal discussions on equity-related topics, um, establish community coffee hours by um, school complexes, um, support families doing, offering trainings to support families um, to build partnerships with schools to kind of amplify our two-way communication goal. Um, and we, we would be using the mass um, framework for family engagement. And um, as I think we talked about earlier, just kind of providing the back-to-school supports for families um, in our community. The back-to-school, the virtual, uh, or the mobile, it's not a virtual, it would be a mobile kind of back-to-school center. We'll go through. Um, Pam? No questions. Dave Callahan? Yeah, well, thanks. One of the kind of questions I kind of uh, brought up, I think, first with Amanda, uh, you know, was talking about that kind of common you know, uh, theme of perception, the lack of trust, of response, and uh, action. Um, you know, initially I wanted to, to ask, you know, so what are, what are we doing to, um, you know, to look into that and to, to work on that. Um, you know, and I, I, I see here though, I, you know, a lot of um, the anticipated outcomes of the evidence, you know, talking about the, the discipline matrix, uh, using the panorama uh, to be able to really kind of track that, provide, especially this one, kind of look, provide a supportive school environment with opportunities to, to elevate student voice. Um, that one right there specifically, might you be able to, to elaborate a bit more on you know, kind of what we can kind of see as, you know, how that would be uh, be achieved, because I, I do think that a lot of uh, the findings in the equity audit about that lack of support, uh, you know, perceived or, or real, um, you know, would, would really do well uh, if we're able to, to elevate student voice. So, so you, um, you're referencing uh, an outcome, which is to provide opportunities to elevate. The goal related to that is to cultivate, it's, it's the DEI director is the uh, person 
it's 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 the goal for hiking. This DEI plan is a district plan, but that particular goal is talking about further cultivating student relationships and learning more about student experiences across levels. So digging deeper and not take take audit aside for a minute, just as an entry into the district, having Heidi engage with our students in, in a variety of settings, the outcome is that she learns more um, and elevates all student voice um, through those experiences. And I think that's what that speaks to. So the action steps speak to um, attending clubs, facilitating groups. Um, we have a we have talked about this before. We have the. ADL peer leaders. Um, Heidi is co-leading the ADL peer leaders as an as an, an example at our middle schools. Um, so I would just say those are examples, and also we have an existing mentoring program at um, at Par Mentor that we want to see continue and grow and, and elevate. And I know that Heidi um, has some thoughts on that, but I think that's that's what that goal speaks to is in an effort to try to elevate. Is how does how does she engage with? all the different students that we have within our district. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess more, more question. Um, so in terms of um, bringing students together with these, these various groups and clubs, is there any thoughts on how we can get more cross-pollination with, with these groups so that they're not inside of us? And, that may not necessarily work with another group have that opportunity to get more exposure to each other. So obviously we, we heard a lot of athletes, um, mentioned athletes in the, the, the CG feedback. Like, how do we get more of the athletic groups with maybe the saga group or, or vice versa or just this different things that, that don't necessarily mix today. It, it, I want to be careful too to say that I wouldn't stereotype that all athletes are um, in that situation. It could be an experience a student had based on a student wearing an athletic jersey. That that's what once again when I mentioned earlier in the like two couple hours ago in the superintendent's report, we talk about um, if students are at a game and they're fans and they're in our section and they're cheering and something comes up. It's beyond now just a student made this comment, it's a student from Franklin made this comment. It's a Franklin, the town of Franklin made this comment and we've experienced that. So I'm cognizant of that. I think we would want to be clear about that. And I think one thing that uh, Mr. Hanner has done with Ms. Ellis, who's our athletic director, has brought together a leadership team of leaders um, across our, our teams and our clubs and I think about the work that he's doing to continue to expand that program and try to build in some character development and work. That's one example of trying to bring folks together, but certainly um, I'll let Heidi speak to this idea of an awareness campaign. It really can't be me walking around the calf trying to encourage kids. It's bigger than that, so I'll just let you speak right. a little and bit. Right, and I mean, you know, this is, we're in the process of building this out, um, but basically working with existing student groups to do things like kindness campaigns, you know, um, trainings, students teaching students um, how to be cautious um, and mindful and empathetic of their, their peers. So I think that that would probably be um, our initial approach or our initial entry um, and a part of that, you know, going back to that whole awareness campaign, what is equity? What is kindness? What is belonging? You know, everybody has an identity, or multiple identities, and at different times, um, your identities 
can be impacted by marginalization, you know, which is a thing that kind of pulls us all together. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Just one question for me. Um, then with the development of the discipline matrix and one of the um, main recommendations they have for the audit, could you just briefly touch upon how um, that development is also going to converge with the development of the multi-tiered uh, systems of support that we've been talking about these past couple weeks? speak to that. So um, if you look at the, the matrix, what it does is it starts to tier behavior. So um, at the root and like the foundation of what a multi-tiered system of support is, is students are demonstrating, whether it's academic, SEL, behavior, students are demonstrating some capacity um, of what's expected in some way. It could be a learning standard, it could be a behavioral expectation. And we set tier one as, hey, this is what we all, these are, this is like the community agreement of what we expect for everyone. So I'll frame it with regard to discipline because that was your question. It's saying now we have these rules and expectations that uh, we expect every student to follow and we teach the skills that we want them to have so that they can be successful. And there are times where it's not a, a label because you can float in and out of uh, any tier. I think I mentioned this a few meetings ago but ultimately, you could be in a situation where you now, um, if the expectation is set universally for everyone, and you um, violate that rule or an expectation with regard to discipline, now you floated into needing uh, another tier of, of support or accountability, or both supportive accountability um, on how we manage that. And depending on the infraction, you could find yourself um, really in a, in a a more, uh, a more offensive thing. So it could be running in a hallway, could be a very basic kind of first level warning what's going on, but you could have said something very offensive and you could have directed um, an inappropriate comment at someone and that might carry a different, you know, you could have been in a fight, you know, um, it could have been uh, something on the continuum of behavior and I think what we mean by tears and as it relates to the framework is like if you are found to have bullied, it talks about if it's your first offense or if you've had multiple infractions and discipline's progressive and interventions are progressive as well. So basically there's a continuum of how we uh, expect kids to, how we would respond to student behavior um, with regard to your example, uh, your question around discipline matrix. If I could add, I think also um, what we can do too is, is analyze the data. So we are tracking our discipline, our behavior and our incidents as well as um, tracking um, the behaviors that we're seeing. And if we're seeing that there's a trend going with a particular student, we can then come up with a response of more of an intervention, um, and whether that be like a tier one intervention of behavioral, social, emotional, or a tier two intervention um, to prevent that behavior from happening again, or maybe an education, and we can tear the response piece to it in an action plan. So that would be like the restorative piece of it. Thank you. Please. That was a great question, Dave. Um, I I don't have any specific questions about this because I feel like it sort of it was it was based on a whole lot of information and it, it's um, going in a direction that's consistent with the other school improvement plans, the district improvement plan. But one thing it, it um, talks about the equity plan, right? So that's like a an action item. 
developing multi-year after the action plan. So that sounds like a big job. And so that's just like one little bullet on this paper. And it's also part of this, right? So the next steps. So um, that's, and that's gonna look different than this. I guess, I guess I'm like yes. not, like, like this seems like a lot. And this seems like a lot. And then so the equity plan, is that just sort of like streamlining it to not just be this school year, but sort of, yeah. it's, okay. it's to, the equity plan they're recommending is, we received this audit, we have these findings. Mm -hmm. We've started to lay the foundation for some good work in this district for a few years now. Now take that information and go out and learn more and talk to people and administer surveys and get data on performance and start to put together a plan that prioritizes areas that we want to um, we want to set goals around mm -hmm. and start to look at that in a multi-year kind of idea. And this plan is really about what are, what are we committing to this year mm -hmm. to try to accomplish uh, in this area. And also, uh, it's directly related to, some of this you'll see is related to what Heidi is doing and I thought we wanted to be transparent around the role of our DEI director but also in context to this plan involves everyone and you heard our principals talk about how they'll support this work with students so uh, we thought we needed to give something that's going to basically be clear about what our intentions are for this year and at the end of this year we hope that we've set the foundation for a multi-year strategy that helps us start to continue to build um, build out some of the the ideas and recommendations, and we will have our own findings. Um, I think that we'll, we'll be able to communicate out to everyone and set goals around if we feel they're appropriate. Gotcha, so the equity plan, um, the equity action plan will exist to inform future district improvement plans and school improvement plans? Yes. Okay, okay. I'm like, it's just a lot of important documents, so if there's a way to I understand, we, we are, and I'm, I'm all about <laughs> synergy, that's a, my second favorite word, to systems, so. Systems. Systems is number one, but I do, but synergy is my second favorite word, so yeah. I would say when we can do that, and be clear, so if we can, if, if, uh, if someone reading it can't understand it, it's really not helpful, so that's another thing. Definitely, and I do think the transparency is important. Um, and this year, how we sort of like pulled the, remember Dave Callahan, when we, we were talking about how the, the district improvement plan had, like we heard about the first four, but then we weren't gonna hear about the fifth till today, and that yeah. like seemed a little disjointed, but really the rationale behind it was because it was, it took how many hours? We've been here a really long time. So it's like, it would've taken way too many hours, and it wouldn't have, it would've taken away from the middle schools, or away from elementary schools or high schools, um, or ACDT, and that wouldn't have been fair to them. So. We're too early in the work, and yeah. we need to incorporate those goals that are specific to each level next year into the plans. I think that was feedback, but that is the goal. But we don't know what those are yet until we dig deeper and go through a year. Of, uh, right, and that's the right answer, right? Because we don't know yet, and we're still learning and listening. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we're along for the journey with okay. Megan? Uh, my bad. Sorry, I'm just laughing at um, Yeah, thanks for the presentation, and I, I don't have any questions. Um, in the previous presentation, you had mentioned support needed for gifted students. 
and here in the DEI plan in 5C, it reads enhanced learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. So maybe, could you be more specific on how we are planning on supporting, providing more support for gifted students? Um, I, I actually will tell you one thing I'll, I'll mention is we've piloted um, the, with Josh and I met with Rhode Island College, and I think we talked about the early um, college enrollment. We're piloting a course right now. This is an example for the high school. Mm -hmm. We also had the opportunity to continue that conversation more locally um, with Dean, but it's an exploratory conversation, so I don't want people walking away thinking that that's a done deal, but certainly there was interest to kind of see where we could kind of move in that direction. Um, is that for gifted and talented? It's for students who are ready. That's what those programs are for, who are ready to embark on that and try to look to earn um, some college credit during high school, as an example. When we think about MTSS, and I'd be happy to kick it to some of my colleagues, but this whole idea of tiered support, um, if students are demonstrating you know, mastery uh, in a specific skill or a specific area, I know that our teachers work really hard to look for ways in which they can continue to engage them and deepen the learning. I've seen it um, with my own child who is a student in this system, and um, when things are not everything, but certain certain things that seem to, uh, you know, he, he seems to demonstrate, he can dive a little deeper, and the teachers have been really responsive in those areas. Um, there are other areas where we're swinging into tier two and tier three when it comes to learning, and I think that's okay, and I think it means that we're kind of moving along. I'll kick it to Dr. Rogers. Yeah, so thank you. I would also just say through the curriculum revision process, we're very mindful of the resources that we're um, bringing into the district and that we're putting in front of students. So, you know, a few examples I can just think of off the bat would be um, us bringing ST Math into the elementary school this year, which is a self-paced for the students. So students are advancing at different points in that program. Um, as a supplemental tool to our tier one primary resource. It's not the end all be all, but that's one way. Um, I would um, bring draw attention to both our math curriculum that we use at the elementary middle level and also the science curriculum that we newly brought into the middle level. This idea of um, uh, inviting everybody to the classroom discussion, and then by inviting everybody to that classroom discussion, I can give you like some specific examples and, um, of how this happens, but you can really elevate student voice in a way that, you know, it's we call them in the math realm, we call them low threshold, high ceiling tasks, where you're really just inviting everybody in so everybody sees themselves honored in the science classroom, in the math classroom, in the English classroom, you know, whatever classroom they're in. But then that idea of that high ceiling, which would allow students and teachers to take students to, to higher levels. Um, so I would say those are some ways that we're thinking about the curriculum materials that we bring in to the classroom. Um, and then we'll be thinking through that equity lens as we embark in, the, in our literacy work. Um, and that will bring forward to this committee at some point later in the year as well. Um, I, don't, I don't have enough question, maybe just a comment. Um, just personally, I think it's unfortunate that somehow creating the space for children to feel welcomed and seen and loved has become politicized. You know, the words equity and inclusion um, became fighting words among those who are unwilling to accept that the world is changing. It's always changing. Um, teaching history, real history is vital. That book showing both mirrors and windows for everyone is critical for all of our learners. 
there's no magical curriculum, as we found out, um, or strategy that is going to create the change that the education system needs right now. Um, it's going to require all of us to come together and get really honest about what's working and what's not and how we can do better as a district. So just thank you all very much for all of your time at 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday and all of your work on this. So thank you very much.
Lastly, charts display commonly attended school attendance options for students, uh, residents, I'm sorry, Franklin resident children. And we also display the trends over the last five years and point out uh, the increase in students at the elementary level attending Benjamin Franklin Charter School increased in the 2019-20 expectedly as this was a year the school's initial expansion and since then the numbers have now decreased back to pre-expansion values. Here's an expected increase in the middle school students attending Benjamin Franklin uh, Charter in 2021 as a result of the expansion to the grades in sixth grades and these numbers have also settled back to pre-expansion values. And homeschool numbers increased um, as a result of the pandemic to 65 and while lower in 2022 at 60, they continue to decrease in 22, 23 to 46, which um, gets us closer to normal, which has typically been around 30. And high school students attending public schools other than Franklin, we've seen an increase of 8.3% in private or parochial school. speculation um, but uh, as we were just talking about uh, in terms of the support for the gifted students you know I can't help but think you know are some of the numbers that are going to some of these charter schools because of a lack of you know gifted support uh, and so I would love to you know just to see the continued expansion of that um, you know there's some great programs uh, that we offer and, uh, and I would love just to, to continue to, to see more of those uh, great programs supporting the, the top, um, you know, along with every other student that we have. That's all. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Um, so continue to be impressed that the, the closeness of the McCabe's number and what we're at. Um, I know that we're higher overall in the elementary space. Um, so I, I see that there's some, some sharper dips than I expected, like Permenter and I believe both, where like everybody else has, has seen some increases and people want to probably shifted due to housing sales and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, but the one that, that really is jumping out at me is, is the ECDC number. I mean, we're at 148, where we projected at 111. Um, and I know when I went there last year, space was extremely tight. Um, but I think that that's something we need to like, keep an eye on. And, like, what can we do to help them? Because they were, they were busting at the gills last year. They're, they're, they are at, I, I would say they're at max capacity. It's part of the larger discussion with regard. I know we're doing an analysis for redistricting, but they are at, at their max. And I think if, um, if programming expanded, they could fill um, additional classrooms if, if, uh, if the opportunity was there. And certainly um, that's part of the larger discussion. I think the timing of a redistricting analysis and these numbers that we're seeing um, is a good time. And that's, once again, an example of why we need to really look at this and look at how we're utilizing space across our, our town. So it's a, good, it's a good point. And yes, they it's are. It's on our minds. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to make sure folks are aware of it. Sure. That in mind, especially where these are our youngest students and their transition will go to the other schools and will impact them as well as down the road. So thank you. <clears throat> I also wonder about those ECDC numbers. So I remember McKibben, he projected 111 for like a bunch of years, a flat, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But he, the way he answered it was basically like, we don't know what we're gonna get. This is how much they could have at that time. And so I'm just gonna sort of bring that forward. 
Um, I remember, I think it was just 111 across the board. It was, and, and I think, you know, um, to give them the, the benefit of the doubt, I mean, you don't, we, we weren't, we didn't know at the time. It was pre-COVID. It was pre-COVID, and the amount of students with disabilities that we're identifying now, um, you know, and we're not sure if it's COVID flu. Mm -hmm. It might not be, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate to say. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that that was probably, he's probably going more by birth rate, because that is a data point that you can control, where you can't control identifying students with, predicting how many students with disabilities identified. Right, absolutely. Or students that don't necessarily have disabilities, but have extreme needs that haven't been seen before because they've been home the first three years of their life, which are really important to be correct. Music yeah, and that's happening across across everywhere, every district. Absolutely. It's just the pre the integrated preschool programs are just wrestling at the gills. And I think some of it might be because parents that might have ordinarily sent their kiddo to like a private preschool might be like, oh, they might need a little support. So sometimes they just send them to the district. They're like, oh, there's there's people there. If something comes up, they'll be able to figure it out. You know what I mean? Um, and so sometimes they feel like there's that security blanket of being in the public school. So I wonder if there's more enrollment that way. Also, I mean, early intervention. I mean, I think through COVID, early intervention probably wasn't as robust mm -hmm. as, it, as it was in the past yeah. and is, you know, going to be now. Um, you know, our littlest babies can't, don't, doesn't. Don't do Zoom. Don't do Zoom. <laughs> I was trying to think, of, yeah, pronounce that grammatically correct if it wasn't coming out right, but yes, they don't do Zoom. <laughs> um, what other question? I had another question. Um, oh, just about the October 1st numbers. And so October 1st numbers are like an important thing as far as moving forward. So the, the it's not just about the number, you know, you're not just trying to fill airtime. This is, um, these, these numbers are important going forward. So as far as, um, I guess, Mary, I'm not getting too deep into it, but this is not my realm. So as many times as I can beat over the head with it, it helps. As far as these numbers go forth to to project on our Chapter 70 Foundation enrollment um, and our foundation budget for uh, FY23, FY24, sorry, October of this year is going to project uh, next year's foundation enrollment um, by category. So our special education students are going to have an allocation, our K-12 students our pre-K students, they'll all have an allocation, uh, and uh, the enrollment will determine um, how much the state will decide is an amount to provide an adequate education for the students in Franklin. And from there, they will put it through their formula and determine how much we can contribute as a town towards education, and how much the state will backfill in Chapter 7 money. Got it. And so as far as the state is concerned, these are our numbers. Even if in April we had 40 families move in with lots of kids or, you know, move out or something. So these are our numbers for FY24 as far as the state's concerned. Okay. That's correct. And we do have students who, who return from other of course. Um, places. Yeah. On an ongoing basis. Um, all I hear when I dial into other meetings, such as like FinCon or Town Council, is their numbers are declining. 
oh my god, what is going on? How can we address it? It's exactly how it's felt <laughs> in my head when I replay it. <laughs> can we address this? I mean, um, did we all of a sudden lose 2,000 students? Like, why do other um, folks seem to want to harp on uh, a fake crisis? My response to the question is, even though we've seen uh, enrollment decrease and decline, I think it ebbs and flows through the life cycle of a community. Um, there is a reality to birth rate. I think mm -hmm. that's hitting everyone. Um, the needs of our kids, so we do make um, enrollment-based reductions based on the number of kids we have. I wish it was a math problem like a factory that's you know building tires that has specific amount that they produce and it can ship out, but that's not, um, it's not the business we're in, we're in um, with humans. And as I mentioned uh, earlier in my report around the needs of kids and the supports that we need to provide them, there's an expectation in this town um, that we provide a very high level of education, and there should be. And um, it's something that's a sense of pride. It's why I know I want to work here and I want my kids to be in the system. But with the same, uh, in the same regard, that means we also have a responsibility to make sure we're providing the supports. And you know, I, I ran into a teacher um, last week in one of our elementary schools, and uh, the comment was basically like, "I would love nothing more than to just teach my um, my contents, my content area, and the subject area." But there are so many other pieces about these little humans that come in that we have to we have to work with, and um, and it's not the state mandates, but it's just a need to make sure kids are able to access their learning, and that requires support. Sometimes it requires intervention. Sometimes it requires tutoring. Sometimes it requires additional staff that aren't necessarily the classroom teacher to help build out um, a system and a structure. So um, it's not it's not um, necessarily an easy thing to solve. And, and, and as we've heard before, I'm thinking back, Dr. Hearn's in my head right now, around schools have become the hub mm -hmm. um, of a community. And ultimately, we, um, we that's how we build our supports. And, we are transparent with our budget and our numbers and, and how we develop it, and we'll continue to do so. And I recognize that that question is out there, it sounds like, and what we'll do is we'll do our best to paint the picture and tell the story and the narrative, and maybe um, having the people who we're talking about when we say this. I think we all have a picture of a classroom teacher in our mind, and maybe when we went to school, that's what we remember. Um, and maybe it would be worth us putting um, some people who do the other work. We have uh, uh, people, students who are learning um, English as their second language, and how are we supporting them? That takes uh, an adult to partner with um, an academic teacher to make sure that there are language goals in addition to the learning goals. So um, that would be my long answer. Probably could get a longer one, but um, <laughs> that would be. No, I think that's important. Um, but you know, I, I understand. And I understand that we have to communicate. It's our job to educate so that when people ask that question. They may, they don't have they may not have the answers to that and they may want them and I think we owe it to the community to provide that kind of information. So well, I think that's important that you know schools are a hub for we're dealing with mental health issues, food insecurities, student support services. Um, you know I think just about my family. You know my grandparents had seven kids and then my parents had three and I have 
one, and my siblings have, are like, we're never having kids because they're the worst. And you know, like, but when my when my grandparents had kids, their school experience is completely different than my son's. Mm -hmm. So just because we went from seven kids to one kid doesn't mean we need less staff in schools. And I think to reiterate, I mean, we provide social services mm -hmm. at this point. We are after school care, before school care, food, um, health, mental health, mm -hmm. and, phys and physical health. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, we are providing all because service providers are lacking in our communities, mental health providers, and so it, it's, yes, there's, the needs are greater. It's not just about the numbers, it's about the story. Mm -hmm. um, all right, moving on. Information matters. Superintendent evaluation of these. Um, we will be meeting in early November to review the superintendent's goals before he presents them to the full committee on November 22nd. Okay. Yeah. Uh, budget meeting. No joint budget subcommittee uh, scheduled? Our next meeting is November 1st. Um, some MASC liaison news. So next week we have our MASS, MASC joint conference. Wednesday, November 2nd through Saturday, November 5th, I'll be in Hyannis, not working my job that pays me. I'll be down on the case. Um, You'll be promoting all of our resolution changes. Yeah, I'll be doing some school committee work. Um, you know, looking forward to attending the delegate assembly and several of the panels. They have a ridiculous amount of panels. Lucas and I were talking about it before the meeting. Um, their theme this year is promoting equity, diversion, and inclusion, constructing the narrative to define the message. Um, so I'm looking forward to bringing back some information to you guys at the next meeting. Space needs and facilities, Al. Yep, uh, so the, um, the contract has been fully executed with FGO, so that was after our last meeting. Um, we, they've requested a plethora of data um, just to begin their, their data analysis. Um, Ms. Goodman has sent that off to FGO so that they can start doing their work. Um, we've also put out the um, uh, redistricting advisory interest form uh, that went out last Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe, mm -hmm. um, with the deadline of the 28th, which is this coming Friday, to express their interest. Um, happy to say that we've gotten a good amount of people, uh, both from the families um, and also the educators, so uh, great cross-section, uh, but we do have more time, as I said, until 28th, so if folks are still interested, uh, feel free to find uh, Mr. Jaguar's letter um, and provide, uh, express your interest. Um, we will be letting folks know at the beginning of this month, or beginning of November, where we will then have, um, let them know that our first meeting is on November 15th, we'll pull the advisory district together, uh, committee together, and just really talk through goals, expectations, and really how the process is going to go. Uh, so looking forward to that, and looking forward to the group that we'll have as well. So great, great people from what I've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, we had met on the 17th, uh, talked through a plethora of things, back to school night, uh, in-person events such as like a pumpkin scroll, um, spirit 
where fundraisers, so the PCs are building a lot to fund the school uh, for enrichment activities, so if folks aren't aware, um, all their activities um, help raise funds of some sort or bring some enrichments to the students above and beyond what the district does, so um, a lot of great efforts just to help build some community, um, get folks back into rhythm now that we're post-COVID and we can do a lot more in-person events. Um, so great things. Um, one thing that recently happened was that Ladybug 5K, which was hosted off at JFK. Um, so for those runners, they were a great, great event. Um, and where we hadn't done that for a few years now, so it was good to get that back. Um, but then it was also great to see the Kennedy families come together and also people that don't go to Kennedy come there as well just to truly support and help raise funds to go back to the students. And we had amazing high school students that were able to be there to help support um, in terms of being, um, you know, running the courses to make sure that nobody was left behind, helping coordinate the little, little kid fun runs. Um, so it's a really, really great event and looking forward to another one. Beautiful day weather-wise. Um, I think kids were wearing shorts and t-shirts and it was, you know, November or October. So uh, great, great thing there. Um, and uh, yes, once again, can't speak any highly enough about the PCCs uh, doing really great work. Um, and I think our next meeting is on November 7th. Okay. Can I ask a question about the date? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, plenty of time. Um, I know in the past, speaking of equity, in the past, um, we've sort of floated the idea about the PCCs pooling their money and then divvying it up somehow rather than like Kennedy's pocket, Jefferson's pocket, you know. Um, because it's not always equitable. Um, and so I just, I guess I just want to throw that out there and maybe if there's redistricting on the horizon, I think it's going to get a little bit um, complicated as far as that goes. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't yeah. necessarily I, I, I think that's something that we'll have to factor in terms yeah. of how that, that gets allocated. Um, and then it'll be a, a line of it to be mindful of. Um, one thing that I do know, beyond just the JPCC meetings, are gathering together so that they are meeting in between our meetings, um, our monthly meetings, so that they can be aligned with what's being oh, done, cool. they can okay. share best practices. So that's um, huge progress because yeah, that didn't need to Exactly. And then that's also awesome. with the, the the PCC chairs are usually like a two, three year commitment. This is a great, great way to have continuity so that if one school has a turnover, they at least have resources from other schools to be able to say, hey, what are you doing? And, and not necessarily start from scratch. Mm -hmm. So. I think that will just help build things as we progress. Definitely. No, that's great to have that in place. Good system. School wellness advisory. Slack, we don't have any updates from our last meeting, and our next meeting is November 1st. Okay, CPAC. CPAC hosted a trunk at the Franklin Public Library trunk retreat this past Saturday, and apparently it was very, very busy and a huge success. Um, they partnered with a new candy store in Milford, which is called Sweet Intentions, mm -hmm. and they support and employ individuals with intellectual disabilities. So it was a nice little teamwork um, situation to collaborate and partner. Um, and remember that book club meeting is coming up November 16th in person at Escape into Fiction and on Zoom. So there, uh, you can grab your copy of Temple Grandin's book, Thinking in Pictures, now, and check out their Facebook page for more information. Thank you. Substance abuse testing. I just want to say, um, 
uh, the trunk or treat, uh, yeah, it was, was spectacular. I really loved that there was a pamphlet that kind of came yeah. out uh, talking about the, the candy shop. That was uh, that was fantastic. The candy was uh, went over well with kiddos too. But I the pamphlet that. was great. Just to be able glad to you were happy with the candy. You oh, got yeah. your treat of the pamphlet. I'm glad. It was good. To, it was informative, and we would love to support businesses just like that. And so, how do we know about them besides your trunk or treat? Absolutely. Yeah, that was very helpful. Thanks for the feedback. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all your. Yes, absolutely. Our next meeting is November 15th. <laughs> All right. DEI committee. Our meeting is. Our oh, wait, meeting is coming up next week? Yeah, next, next week, November 2nd, I think. It's second Wednesday? Is that the second? Third. 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 I'm looking at Yeah, so our meeting will be November 3rd. Okay. Focus will be to look at the um, keep deep game planning for our next steps. Okay. And uh, we can repeat that on the 19th is the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Do we have any information about where, when, or how? Or no, we, we okay. wanted to get the, just the date out to let yeah. people know we're intentional about it, and now we'll cut out some more information. Okay. All right, uh, consent agenda, Mr. Chair. Okay, I recommend approval of the minutes from the October 11, 2022 school committee meeting as detailed. I recommend approval of the budget transfers as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $675 from the JFK PCC for field trips as detailed. I recommend approval of the 2022-23 student activity accounts as detailed. I recommend approval of the request of Mary McMurray to take the JFK 4th and 5th grade music students to the Veterans Auditorium on May 26, 2023 for a concert as detailed. And I recommend acceptance of three checks totaling $4,424.94 from the parliamentary PCC as follows. $3,236.54 for supplemental supplies, $638.40 for field trips, and $550 for field trips. I recommend acceptance of a check for $1,405 from the music parents for in-house enrichment for the music department as detailed. Okay. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. Any discussion, question? Yeah, Vote will come on the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Right. Moving along. Are there citizens' comments? Are there any citizens in the audience, in person or online, who would like to make a comment on an item not on tonight's agenda and falls within the committee's purview? We'll go in person first. Can I have a oh, second question, really? Um, well, uh, my name is Art. My sorry. Name is Artemi, I'm sorry. I, I just have to read a statement really quick. All right. In the spirit of open communication, the committee will hold a public participation segment about matters not related to an agenda item within the school committee's purview, such as budget, performance of the superintendent, and policies. Comments are limited to three minutes and must be addressed to the committee. Citizens' comments segments are not debates or Q&A sessions. It is intended to offer citizens an opportunity to express their opinions on issues of school committee business. The committee will listen to but not respond to any comment made. If you could state your name, address, and please keep within the three minutes. Thank you. All right, here's more questions, Art Page, so you can't answer these. Um, my name is Artemios from Raymond Street. 
Uh, I just wanted to ask if we're going to have a copy of that DEI presentation. Is that available for me to take? Uh, can I answer? Or? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Yes, yes, we'll make that. Uh, it is public. We'll post the presentation along with the audit. Okay. We'll see. Um, another question, I'm sorry. Um, if DEI has an audit, and to me, an audit has a checklist and a score, so what are the penalties if that checklist, all those boxes aren't checked, and there's a low score? Is that a fair assessment, that an audit is a checklist and a score? And PCG is the one who's auditing, right? PCG conducted the external audit, yes, they did. So going forward, these audits are gonna happen yearly? Uh, that's not the intention of the plan. I don't know if I should be engaging, but I feel like I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I don't I, think. I'm just yeah. curious. So, I'm, I'm so, so, so I think that yeah, we can address it at a future meeting. So if yeah. you just want to kind of go through when we can address it at the next. Okay, meeting. so if, if you guys can expand on that in another meeting mm -hmm. uh, about the audit. Yep. Um, what it entails, how long it, it's going to happen. Um, And also, where's the where's the DEI agenda coming from? Uh, you stated, uh, Camille, a law in the Constitution. Um, which we had this before DEI, what you stated, what you read. Why, is, why do we need DEI now to, to focus on this? Didn't we have this before, the, the belonging to? Um, have everybody equal, equitable, even before DEI. Like, why is this a new thing now? If you can expand on that later, too, mm -hmm. that'd be great. Um, I think that's all I have for now. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you. I think we just state your name. Yes. My name is Mark Kelly. I'm at 31 Longfellow Drive in Franklin. Um, this subject is important to me. It brought me back to the school committee meeting. I haven't been to one here in Franklin in 45 years. So um, I, I'm fully supportive. I've just wanted to lend my words of support to all of you um, to thank the school committee for the time that you spend in general, uh, as well as the, uh, the, the school administration members that are here tonight. Um, I, I, when I was in high school in the mid-70s here, uh, I don't think anybody knew what diversity and inclusion even meant. Um, students, neither students nor administration in those years. It was not until I was in corporate settings uh, over the last 20 to 25 years, there was a lot of, a lot of emphasis placed on diversity and inclusion. And um, during those sessions, I learned how important it was uh, to the success of business. Uh, and there are a number of studies that show that businesses that are di more diverse happen to be more successful and more profitable. And um, it makes me think back to a message that I would encourage this team of committee and, and administration to think about, that the benefits, I think the benefits go beyond the underrepresented students uh, that, that diversity and inclusion will, will directly impact. 
and probably has an impact on all of the students uh, in the classroom, in the setting, during discussions. I, I, think, I think back to perhaps during my high school years, could I have learned more if some of the students in the classroom who were holding back for one reason or another because perhaps they didn't feel comfortable expressing that opinion, could I have learned more? I'm certain that I could have, and I would have had an enhanced education experience. And I think, I, I don't hear that message in what I saw tonight, and perhaps it would help um, more of the community accept what you're doing if you can relate the benefits to all of the students in the school um, by helping some of the students become more, more comfortable. So I thank you for your time on this and many other topics, and I won't I won't wait another forty five years to return. <laughs> thank you. Um, Zoom. If there any, is anyone on Zoom, um, if you wanted to raise your hand, if you wanted to go ahead. Um, all right, Megan Benson, if you could state your name and address, and um, with the three minutes. Nineteen Winthrop Drive. So um, my first question is kind of along, well, both, um, I guess, are kind of along the lines of the first speaker. But first of all, I'm wondering if there is a way to release the methodology and the sample size around this audit. I do appreciate um, Elise Stokes having kind of questioned it a bit, and then uh, you know I agree with you, Elise, kind of the disappointment with this audit. We spend obviously a ton of money, um, you know, for this third party to kind of conduct this. But then what I find a little bit just, you know, as a researcher professionally, um, I find a little bit disconcerting is the fact that we, that, you know, this was presented tonight, but there was not much information about methodology or sample size, or you know, what was the split between the focus group, the, the um, you know, qualitative data versus quantitative, and I think that's really huge because we're using this, the results of this study to create a plan, but you know, if in my personal, you know, in my job, if I went to a client and said, here, here's this study, and I'm going to present this to you, and you're going to use this to make decisions, the very first thing and the most important thing I have to do is kind of map out how many people answered these questions, the demographics of them, you know, basically provide them methodology and example size. So that part is huge. The second thing I would like to touch on is just, you know, in the beginning of the meeting we talked about the behavioral issue, issues that we see in these less structured settings. And we're talking hallways, lunchroom, bathrooms, dismissal. You know, if these, if we were seeing major, major behavioral issues, I would hope that the parents of these students are being contacted and it's being addressed from that level as well. I'm not seeing necessarily how this influx of DEI curriculum and instruction would help that. Um, if I were to guess, it, it's a, you know, a, a result of the pandemic and these children not having these social interactions and not being in a school setting for as long as they were. And 
the fact that it's behavior issues issues in these structured or less structured situations versus structured kind of speaks to that. So I would like to also kind of bring that up. Um, and again, on the, you know, kind of in the same tone as the first gentleman who spoke is, is this an actual issue of needing this diversity, equity, inclusion, or is this an issue of focusing on the more obvious um, kind of basic things? So um, again, I just wanted to present those and hope that you would consider both of those um, concepts. Thank you, Megan. Um, I see Kyle Thompson. Kyle, if you could state your name and address. Uh, thank you, Kyle Thompson, Mercer Lane. Um, I think I have, excluding Amanda's thoughts in the beginning about um, the perceptions of diversity, equity, inclusion, I feel I have a very well-informed opinion about this subject. And over the last 10 years, I've been following DEI initiatives put forth by higher education and corporations. And um, I've seen it come into Franklin schools essentially an ideology. And um, I've noticed you change the title from racial equity audit in the original request for proposal to equity audit. And um, I would like to know the sample size of the audit as well. You continue to use the word equity in the context of equal outcomes and shaping policy around race, sexuality, and gender identity as if every one of these groups is monolithic in perspective. So I'd like to ask you, what is the difference between equity and equality? The audit that was mentioned costs about 40 to $50,000, uh, you know, taxpayer dollars. So a question for Amanda, I don't know if she's still on, but uh, about her organization that conducted the audit, is diversity of thought across political and ideolo the ideological spectrum represented by people in your organization that worked on the audit. Um, <clears throat> additionally, our diversity, equity, and inclusion director costs taxpayers over $120,000 a year. What is the increase in academic success that we could expect from this expenditure, right? Schools should be focused on academic success not bringing an ideology that is based on perceptions found in a biased audit from a left-leaning organization. These findings were based on perceptions and not truth. And Heidi, I wanna ask you, <coughs> excuse me, you mentioned one of your first initiatives was gonna to be to create white affinity groups in a, a local meeting. What is the status of this initiative and what is the intention for this group of white people? Sometimes truth hurts and I feel like you are pushing truth aside to make everyone in the community comfortable. You know, this is life. I mean, people go through uncomfortable things and they need to learn how to deal with it. And you are just pushing it aside and providing phone numbers doors to knock on, safe spaces, um, you know, you're creating fragile people. I recommend, this is my recommendation, I recommend that you focus on algorithms of educational success 
of all students. And the only way to do this is by observing that are reading, writing, and doing math at grade level or above. Thank you, Kyle. We should not be infusing DEI into our public schools, which excludes the diversity of thought. Sorry, Dr. Jason. Our next meeting, um, we will, uh, our presentation schedule um, will be focused on our assessments, MCAS, uh, and getting that information out around um, the MCAS results. So we'll provide uh, an update on that. Um, you can also expect, expect some more updates from our subcommittees and liaisons. And by November 2nd, we'll have an opportunity to continue to engage with the company that we're working with for redistricting. Um, we'll provide an update with some of the information that they're sharing as we get prepared for the kickoff. And I think that's all right. Uh, all right. So finally, we will be adjourning to executive sessions and will not be returning to open meeting. Um, so, pursuant to Mass General Law, Chapter 30A, Section 2183, for the purpose of discussing strategy as it relates to collective bargaining with the cafeteria, band drivers, secretaries, and DSP units, as an open meeting may have a as declared by the chair. Is there a motion to adjourn into discussion as discussed? 
So moved. Is there a second? So I don't. All right. Roll call vote will come on the motion. Camille? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Needs not to yes. All right. We will not be returning, so we will see everyone again in the back. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.